Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Breaking news to open up the fan midday show. This from the Dean Mike Chapel at M Chapel 51. Matt Ryan has been benched. The Colts are going with Nick Foles for the final three games of the regular season. So the change has happened. Parks Frazier yesterday, as you heard those comments in the open, it just happened to work out that way with Chappie breaking the news. But Parks Frazier yesterday said he was going forward, moving with Matt Ryan as the starting quarterback. And then obviously today or somewhere within the last 24 hours or maybe the whole time and they were playing their cards close to the chest, BK, because there's still that chance they make the playoffs. Either way, the news is out. Matt Ryan's season, you would assume, is done. Chappie didn't say that in the tweet, but I, I think you can go along that with three games left. Nick Foles takes over as a starter as the Chargers come into town. Your thoughts on, on St. Nick? Being around in Indy as a starter. Jimmy, remember what happened the last time that a quarterback for the Colts was named the starter for the rest of the season? That didn't go so well. It led to two games, to one disastrous performance, almost one win, and then a coach firing. So you have to take everything from this organization with a grain of salt, in my mind. Nick Foles starting in place of Matt Ryan will not do anything differently when it comes to what the offensive line must do and when it comes to the type of performance you're going to see. Here's what I've always said, Jimmy. In my mind, Nick Foles is good to win you one game a year. Now, in a three-game sprint, I don't know if that's still the case, but always in a 17-game season, Nick Foles will win one game that he is not supposed to every single time. Every single time, because that's the type of performer he is. He's a clutch guy. Usually it's off the bench, and usually in that situation, Jimmy, it's when Nick Foles comes in to replace somebody that just got benched in a game, he goes to win the game, then the coach names him the starter next week, then he grows out and throws three picks, and then gets benched himself. So I would take this with a grain of salt, because in my mind, this changes nothing. This changes absolutely nothing. Like, Greg Rakestraw said multiple times on with us the last couple weeks, Jimmy, if you're the Colts, you must see what you have from a young perspective. Nick Foles is not young. He's on the back burner. He's on the back burner of all back burners. He's been a Super Bowl MVP. He's gotten his money. Somehow he still signs these massive deals to be a backup quarterback. Good for him. Him and Chase Daniel have absolutely erupted the backup quarterback market. I'd probably throw Jacoby Brissett in there, too. But I'm just surprised it's not Ellinger, Jimmy. I, I'm just really surprised because what do you have to lose at this point? Are you really clinging on to that 1% chance that if the Jets beat the Jaguars tomorrow, you're a step closer to the playoffs? I don't know about that. But Foles is going to do absolutely nothing differently than what Matt Ryan did. And it might be less efficient because Matt Ryan's a Hall of Fame quarterback and Nick Foles is not. Here's my thought. Uh Super Bowl champion, though. Let me put a little respect on the name. Okay, great. Uh, here's, here's Super, Bowl the, MVP. Uh, Super Bowl MVP. I said that to start my point, did I not? Did you run back to tape anybody? <laughs> here's, I don't, I don't disagree with you that there's no new change that happens with this team, but I do think there's answers that we now have based on this move. 
the first thing I would point to, and again, this is me solely going off what has been the mantra of Jeff Saturday since he's done these press conferences since becoming the interim head coach. And that is when he was asked about the Matt Ryan situation a couple weeks ago. He said, Matt Ryan, give us the best chance to win. Winning, I don't care about the numbers. I don't care about the situation. And maybe like Kevin Bowen on Kevin's Corner here on the fan has said a couple times or two, maybe Matt Ryan really is playing still through an injury, and you'll learn about that in the offseason. It is what it is. Winning is done because Matt Ryan was the quarterback to put you in the best situation to win, and now you bench him. We can't suddenly be like, no, it's actually Nick Foles. He gives us the best shot to win. What this is now is it answers two questions. It answers number one, where does the front office and where do the Colts feel Sam Ellinger is at this juncture? And the answer is not, we want to see what he has. Oh, that, he's that, 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 that is a That is a clear-cut answer to that question, is that, we again, unless there's some injury we don't know about on that front. So they've seen everything they need to see out of Sam Ellinger. He is not the future. Maybe he has a role on this depth chart somewhere if he's still on the roster when we get into training camp next year. But he is not the answer at quarterback. So that question's been answered. The other question that is now proposed is, what is the future of of Nick Foles as a member of the roster. I am not sitting here saying I want Nick Foles as a starter next year. I do not think Nick Foles is going to be a starter next year. But he, like Matt Ryan, is still under contract in 2023 before they are both free agents. So you are now looking over a three-game sample size, what Nick Foles brings to the table, seeing a little bit more game action from him, seeing what you're paying for. He's only owed $3.5 million next year. So I'd love to only be owed $3.5 million. This is, this is just a, an experimental situation uh, in my mind, just the final three games of the season. He's also BK to bring it back to baseball for you, an innings eater. They have to get through these final three games. There is nothing to be gained by playing Matt Ryan out there. Nothing. Outside of this just once in a blue moon opportunity, hitting the Powerball when it's at $1.8 billion type of situation where the Colts can make the playoffs. I'm not mad about the decision. Uh, if you're in the camp of Sam Ellinger, I want to see what he has. I trust Jim Mercer. I trust the front office. This answers your question. They're telling fans, thank you for hoping to see what you've seen out of Sam Ellinger. We've seen enough internally. We've seen enough this season. Nick Foles, get us home. And that, that's where we're at right now. Jimmy, the last game that Nick Foles played, he beat Russell Wilson and the Seahawks last year in a Bears uniform, 25-24, in a classic Nick Foles game. He threw for 250 yards, 24-35, with a touchdown and no picks. That was the only game he played last year. Would you like to see 2020? Please. He, he played a lot more in 2020, a lot, lot more. His last game of 2020 was the Bears and the Falcons, where he beat the Falcons 30-26. to He lost to the Colts on October 4th, 2020. That was to Phillip Rivers, by the way. Uh, you know what, Foles? I give him credit for the last action that he has been in. He hasn't been overly terrible. He threw three touchdowns and a pick in his last game of 2020. The only stinker game he really had that year was against the Rams. No touchdowns and two picks. So, as you said, this guy is going to be at least serviceable for you. I just don't understand why the decision was made. And like you said, Jimmy, maybe it's because that they know what they have in Ellinger. I just have a hard time believing and trusting and maybe it's the coaching change where there's a different mentality. But when you give this kid the vote of confidence earlier in the year, Jimmy, to this point, if Frank Reich's word went and he didn't get fired, Sam Ellinger would be the starting quarterback against the Los Angeles Chargers the day after Christmas. I just can't imagine being in that spot with all that has happened. I, 
I mean, if you want Foles, Jimmy, if you're going to go with the game plan of drafting a young K- QB, almost KB, if you want to draft a young QB and you want Foles to play in front of him, that's going to be a really quick experiment, Jimmy, because again, we have seen time and time again, although respect to this guy for being a Super Bowl champion and a Super Bowl MVP, he's just he doesn't have the longevity anymore where he can stretch performances week after week. That time is over in Nick Foles' career. He's 33 years old. So if you want him to be a mentor-type player, I guess he's okay from that perspective. I just don't see, Jimmy, any stretch of the imagination where this benefits your football team in the long run. I think that we can't, and they've proven this, I know we can't, regardless of who the general manager is, regardless of who the head coach is, we cannot look at past a two to three week window like this move and I think you would agree with this BK this move is nothing to do with next year it answers some questions about Ellinger but but like him being the starter right now doesn't instantly mean to me that Nick Foles is now being considered to be the quarterback in front of a drafted QB next season he is just here right now again he's an innings eater he is your second or third best quarterback on the depth chart at any given point this season he's a Super Bowl champion you're right he's past his prime he is there because he is still he is still one of the top quarterbacks in football in terms of getting a roster spot, right? We overlook that sometimes. I couldn't go out there and be Nick Foles. You couldn't go out there and be Nick Foles. We joke about $3.5 million. He's getting paid that money to be a backup, and in case of emergencies, break glass here and enter Nick Foles. That's what he's here for. This is not a long-term move for me. This is just, we need a change of the guard to get us through the rest of the year, uh, Jeff Saturday speaking right now. We're getting quotes as it is uh, at K Bowen 1070. Our own Kevin Bowen mentions that the playbook's not going to change much, if at all, with Nick Foles starting. They have similar play styles in terms of what they're able to do, what they bring to the table. You're not reinventing the offense right now. No one's giving up necessarily in terms of the rest of the roster, but they made the change. We're never going to know the true reason, right? They're never going to go out there and say, hey, this was a money thing. We were worried about Matt Ryan getting hurt, guaranteed money. We, we, we mentioned him because of that. We're never, I don't think, going to know, maybe until the offseason, why this happened. We can infer. And to me, it's just Matt Ryan's not bringing anything of value right now. The What is to be gained of him being out there is lower than the risk of him getting hurt or something else happening. Go with Foles. That's why you're paying him. Just get us through these final three weeks. I have zero trust that he can, though, because there's going to be times with how frustrated the fan base is, there's going to be times where (laughs) Foles throws either a ridiculous interception or just can't sling it, like kind of like Ryan and what has happened with his arm strength. There's going to be times that pop up because it's not like, Jimmy, the offensive line is just going to have a revitalization because Nick Foles is playing instead of Matt Ryan. It's going to be the same type of deal, and Foles also does not have Jonathan Taylor. He's got to rely on one of Deion Jackson, Zach Moss, or Jordan Wilkins. Deion Jackson's had some nice moments. Zach Moss looks like a nice downhill runner. Jordan Wilkins averages nearly five yards a carry, but with a bad offensive line, Jimmy, you could probably wash all of that. And an inconsistent offensive line, Nick Foles is going to be on the ground a lot more than likely. So in what is an already frustrated fan base, Jimmy, I'm not going to be surprised at all in these final three weeks whether or not the Colts are actually competing. If Foles goes out there and stinks and is just a Matt Ryan 2.0, you're going to hear the name Ellinger coming up a lot over the next month, Jimmy. And maybe they still make that change. And Which this would is, be absolutely and, absurd, and, and, by the way. And, and this is tough for fans to hear 
like it is, and particularly for this fan base because you're not used to it, I don't believe, first off, before I get to that point, I don't believe there's players in the NFL. We talked about this yesterday. We're going to talk about it ad nauseum until the offseason arrives. These are players that are fighting for their NFL lives as we get to this stretch of the season. Maybe not guys that are under contract, but guys that are on the margins or guys that are in contract years. No one lays down in this league. Doesn't happen. The Texans have every reason to not be playing competitive football whatsoever, and they just took the Chiefs to overtime last week. That's just one example off the top of the team that has the number one pick right now. Nobody is laying down from an individual effort standpoint. That being said, I understand that players can get frustrated and fans can get frustrated. Players are not going to go out there to try to lose, but fans need to understand that these final three weeks, it's not week one, two, and three anymore. You know what this team is. They are not a good football team. They are flawed in a number of different areas. They're not a contender even in their own division. They're just not. I don't care about the fact they still have a playoff chance to get in. They need five or six different things to happen. And even if they all do happen, that doesn't suddenly make them a good football team. It doesn't. Getting in the playoffs this year through three back doors to get there doesn't make the Colts instantly a good playoff team or a good team. It makes them a playoff team. So I get your point, BK. Fans are going to get frustrated, but tough. Get through these final three weeks because the season is over. Like You can get angry if you want to as a fan. There's not a lot to get angry about anymore. They missed the playoffs. Reality is set in. The Matt Ryan experiment failed. Do whatever you want to do as a fan to get through these final three weeks, but the organization has moved on. The organization is looking ahead already now towards 2023. The schedule just doesn't reflect that yet because there's still three games to play. Jimmy, I'd be right on with your wavelength if Sam Ellinger wasn't 24 and Nick Foles wasn't 33. But what does that matter about the team not going anywhere? I don't care about the team going. I, I'm just, from a starting quarterback perspective and fans getting frustrated about what probably will be the performance because the Chargers are pretty good. Sure. Okay. The Giants have suddenly become a fact. They're exciting. The Texans stink, by the way. Let's tie that game. I don't <laughs> care who the quarterback is. Right there with but you. Sam Ellinger's 24 years old. Nick Foles is 33 years old. I think it's a major disservice to even a sixth-round pick if you don't give him a fair shot. Because, again, when the chips were just all over the table and disgusting, looking like Vegas at 3 a.m., bunch of drunk dudes around, he had a shot to win that game against Washington. And it was a remarkable play from Taylor Heineke and Terry McLaurin that prevented Sam from getting his first NFL win. The next week, when it's looking like even more of a blacked-out disaster and Frank's last game, I'm not pinning that on him. Now, could he have gone out there and looked like a serviceable NFL quarterback? Yes, and he certainly did not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he was good that game. Nobody on this team was good that game other than Chase McLaughlin, who made a field goal. And suddenly, Chase McLaughlin is like the player of the week every week now for the Colts. If you have a social media vote on who is the most... Who is the best performer for the Colts over the last month? It's Chase, easy. Chase McLaughlin yep. might win that, Jimmy. Yep. Yep. Chase McLaughlin might run away with Team that. Team MVP, one could argue. I, I, I just, I, I just don't know. No, don't, 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 don't disrespect Grover Stewart like that. Come <laughs> right, on. Right. I just don't know how you go from. It's a different coach. This guy is the starter for the rest of the year. Frank Reich made that statement with Jim Irsay fully being aware of it. Sure. And Chris Ballard fully being aware of it. You don't name this guy the starting quarterback for the last three months just to tell him that, you know what, street clothes look good on you, pal. 
We're starting fulls. And sometime in the next three weeks, it's going to bite them in the ass, Jimmy. But but how, though? Like, like explain that to me. Because here's my, here's my point to that, why I ask you. The season's over. And if the like, the only way it bites them in the ass, BK, is if they're wrong about Ellinger as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And the only way that happens if they're making the statement right now indirectly because they're naming Nick Foles the starter. We've seen all we need to of Sam Ellinger. We don't feel like he's the future of the franchise's starting quarterback. I don't think there's a lot of people. I don't even think you're doing that. Like I don't think you're saying here, oh, he should be the starter next year. You're just saying you want to see more of what he has. What the organization is saying is they're telling you and they're telling fans, we've seen enough of him. We're not interested in seeing him the final three games. We're good. We're going to throw Foles out there, and that's fine. The only way in my mind it bites them in the ass is if somebody picks Ellinger up in the offseason, and next year or a year or two from now, he becomes a valuable asset. Like, there's no way in the short term for it to bite them in the ass. It's a long-term thing. Jimmy, I want him to get a fair shot, because... Putting Foles in as a 33-year-old, that does nothing for me. You don't learn more about Foles, the 33-year-old. You know what he's going to bring to the table. I don't think it's learning about Foles. I think it's learning about your roster. I think that's why you make this decision versus going with Sam, because you're trying to evaluate the people that are around the quarterback position. Guys, Foles is going to be Ryan, maybe even worse. But like I I said yesterday, with Matt Ryan, you had the inability to move the pocket because he's not mobile. Foles Foles is quicker? Foles can move better than Matt Ryan plain and simple I don't know about that one. you're able to run he's able to move more than Matt Ryan to Eddie's point having an established veteran coming in these final three weeks in my mind that is more familiar with everything I'm not saying that at this point in the season Ellinger isn't more familiar with the playbook but Foles has him with experience it gives you a better barometer for how to measure the other pieces in your offense that you're guiding out and measuring out these final three weeks to Eddie's point I am. I see both sides of this, though. I'm just in the camp that it doesn't matter. Like it, it really doesn't matter because Sam Ellinger is not a franchise quarterback. Like I, I, I never I, said he I, was. No, I, know, I know he's not. But what is the answer to find out these final three weeks? What, if what he's is, got a, a, an ounce of juice, by the way, uh, I don't think Nick Foles. I, I, we're not saying that Nick Foles is going to be a read option quarterback, but <laughs> in his last three games played, guys, do we want to guess his amount of rushing yards? Uh, seven. Negative two. Nice. Negative two. And that's but over the last two years. That's 2020 and 2021 combined. He's going to be a statue in there, guys, because he's got a rookie left tackle. He's got a rookie right guard that already can't protect a what are statue you argu- quarterback. What are you arguing for, though? Ellinger to start. Just to see what he has? Just get, show, show me some juice, man, because you nearly won your NFL debut and you weren't given a fair shot when your coach got fired. What if the Colts say he did? What if the Colts that's, tell you we, we've seen all we need BS, to see? Jimmy. That that's got to be BS. Okay, so if they cut him, let's say for sake I would of be argument, really disappointed. I, but I know, I know, but that's not my question. My question is, if they cut him and nobody picks him up, were the Colts wrong? No, like it's, that's life. That happens. Like I'm sorry for I don't Sam. Make the, I don't care. I'm I'm giving my opinion on the radio, Jimmy. I don't. If he gets cut, great. If he gets picked up, great. I just don't re- know why you go with a 33 year old dude that's going to be possibly worse than the guy that you just benched because they think they've seen everything they need to see and because they don't care about these final three games all they're trying to do and i think eddie's right and eddie brings up a great point they're more concerned right now if i'm thinking big picture here the colts have decided that they want to get a quarterback this offseason whether it's the draft or whether it is trade or free agency we can continue to debate that through all the entire offseason but they don't have the quarterback of the future in the room right now clearly There are other pieces on the offense, though, 
that they feel like are still cornerstone aspects of this franchise that they want to continue to get reps. And they're also still trying to win games, not win games in the sense of, you know, compete for a playoff spot, but win games because the NFL people aren't lying down. I think that in terms of his familiarity, in terms of his veteran leadership, Nick Foles gives you a better baseline measuring stick for the rest of the offense than a young Sam Ellinger does. The rushing yards, I don't really care about it at this point because if the stat line is Sam Ellinger, 150 yards passing, one touchdown and 50 yards on the ground in a loss, cool, dude. You ran for, uh, I guess, what did you say, minus seven? So, negative two. So, so, negative two. So you ran for 52 more yards than Matt Ryan or that uh, Nick Foles has the last two years. Like, that's great. I just, the reason I'm not as ad- adamant about it, like, I'm with you, BK. Had they named Ellinger the starter today, I would feel kind of the same way in that team's not going anywhere. Great. Good for him. My bigger concern is what the rest of the roster does these final three weeks, because to your point about taking people up in the locker room and seeing who has fire in them and who's going to lay down and quit and making decisions, separating the rest of your organization moving forward. I need to know the rest of the roster is not going to lay down and quit the rest of the way. Already knowing that whether it's Foles or whether it's Ellinger, they are not my quarterback next year. Everything that was said in the studio today about Foles, you could just cross out Foles' name and probably put in Ryan about what they thought of him as why he ended up taking the starter job back from Ellinger. It's the same word speak, and it's the same stuff that's probably going to harm you if Foles ends up struggling as much as Ryan did, which is highly likely with a bad offensive line, no star running back, few weapons, and a defense that can't stop a nosebleed right now. I I get that your goal is not to go out and win, but Jimmy, this is the National Football League. What do you mean harm you? I don't. That's what I don't get. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing to harm anymore because the damage is done. The playoffs are off the table. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense to me that he's starting. Just uh, it just doesn't make sense. That's that's my point of the. It just doesn't make sense when you have at least a bit of an unknown. There is no unknown with Foles. I don't disagree with that. I don't disagree with the you black on that. book. You you could pick up. You probably go to the bookstore right now and pick up <laughs> pick up how to defend Nick Foles book because it's been done over the last ten years. At least the book is now not out on Ellinger. Bill Belichick kicked his behind, but that was the game Frank got fired. I just don't think the guy has gotten a fair shot. I'm just trying to call it like it is, Jimmy. No, and I and I appreciate that, and I, and I respect you in that regard. Going to bat for him, I don't think you're wrong there to ask for him to get a fair shot. I'm merely observing the fact, right or wrong. And you agree with this, I think. The Colts clear as day are saying, BK, we trust our scouts. We trust Chris Boward. We trust Jim Irsay. We've seen all there is to see on this guy. Your side of it is you disagree. You think that they need to get more over the course of these final three games. I'm sure a lot of fans feel that way, too. I guess why I'm not as on that side of the fence is because it... it I nothing about Sam Ellinger and I'm not going to pretend like I can see better than a scout which is why I'm deferring to the Colts because I think they could see better than me I haven't seen enough ooh ah pop from Ellinger even as he's good gotten as he, two games Jimmy I, I, that's all I can go off of BK that's all I can go off of I can't I'm not gonna go off the preseason I'm not taking that for legit all I can he go did off have of some of, nice passes in the preseason. he did but but I you know we, we can't all I can go off of are those two games and to that end that's why I don't care because he's not if God help us, if Sam Ellinger is the starting quarterback next year of this team, boy, is it going to be a fun offseason. Like if, if it comes out after April's draft, yes, Sam's our guy. We're going with Sam. We've always liked him, even though we started Nick Foles over in the final three games of the season. If that happens, 
then everything is turned upside down in Colts land if it hasn't already. That's why I'm not mad about it because we have to get through these final three weeks. The Colts have to get through these final three weeks. And whoever is under center, like, it doesn't bother me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more upset. Like, I, I just don't get the harm issue. I get the take of give him a shot, but it's not going to harm the franchise long term. He's a what sixth-round quarterback. Am I right on that? Yeah. Is it sixth-round pick? Tom Brady's not walking through the door, BK. Eddie. Uh, this is from Lara Overton. She says that Jeff Saturday says that backup hasn't been decided behind Nick Foles, uh, who will start Monday night. He adds that the plan at quarterback moving forward will be determined week to week Good. after Foles' performance is evaluated following his first start as a Colt Monday night. He's never been a long-term quarterback. He's been a stopgap. He's been able to win a Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl MVP. All respect to the guy. I'll tell you what, boys. You're going to get a lot of hoopla gifts when he throws some ridiculous (laughs) interceptions that are no different than Matt Ryan. It's no different. Nothing. It's the same guy. It's the same guy. He's going to wing it down the field and not give a bleep. Ryan, he's gonna wing it down. The, the only difference, the only difference, he's throwing eighty-yard interceptions instead of fifteen-yard interceptions. Exactly, BK. It's a punt. It's an arm punt. It truly it's is. A, a, it's, it's a punt before a punt. He's the same guy. <laughs> same guy. You just went from. It, it's. You ever see the gif or now? I think it's a meme of like the old guy getting the same shirt for Christmas that he's wearing. The Colts going for Matt Ryan and Nick Foles as quarterback. This guy wearing the same shirt as the one he gets for Christmas. So you're you're basically doing the the Spider Man gif. It's it's Nick Foles yeah, and Matt the Ryan. Same Boy, guy. I understand. I same understand. guy. Give me some variation, boys. <laughs> That's Brendan King. I am Jimmy Cook. We will be right back after this. More on the breaking news of the day, where it impacts the Colts. If you want to join the conversation, and I assume there's a lot of Colts fans that again are in BK's camp. That you want to see Sam Ellinger. You want to see what he has to offer. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you can join the show three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Of course, you're always welcome in the YouTube chat. You can follow. Brendan at B King Sports. You can follow me at the J Cook. Eddie Garrison at Eddie Garrison underscore. If you want to tweet at us, make your comments known. Again, breaking news of the day: Nick Foles named the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. We thought for the rest of the season, but a week by week basis as he gets his report card from just Jeff Saturday after approved every Colts game. <laughs> Back in a moment on the fan. That is Eddie Garrison on the DJ spins. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. This is 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan, Fan Midday Show. At B King Sports on Twitter, at VJ Cook, at Eddie Garrison underscore. Appreciate you being with us Wednesday before Christmas. Tomorrow, by the way, is our last show of the week. Programming note, we are not on the air on Friday. So if, as much as you want to squeeze out of us, Jimmy, we got you today and tomorrow. Got your back. Happy to continue to ride this I don't know if you want to call it a carousel, if you want to call it a a, a getaway train that's and gone been, off the it's rails. It's clearly been a roller coaster, considering we just argued about Nick Foles for half an hour. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> Love this team. <laughs> Woo! We we can we can hit the phone lines if you'd like. We do have an open segment at three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Good one for you this afternoon. As Jimmy, you have a very special guest coming up at 2 o'clock, no? I do. We're getting ready for NBA Christmas Day action. Uh, The play-by-play voice over at ESPN, as well as a major part of the Yes Network, Ryan Rucco. Going to take some time with us. We'll talk more about the Pacers' national perspective as well as just the NBA as a whole. Of course, the, the story of the day has shifted a little bit away from getting you ready for holiday sports action to the drama that is... 
again, as BK kind of alluded to there, the continuing action from Indianapolis Colts, in case you're joining us for the first time today. First of all, welcome. And second of all, breaking news, in case you've been under a rock the last 20 minutes, Nick Foles, now the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. No word on who will be the backup yet. Jeff Saturday said it's going to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. Oh, we have a second. Eddie, if you're ready on that front, we'll take a couple phone calls, get thoughts on the reaction. Let's first go to Billy in Tyler, Texas on line one. Billy, your thoughts on the move and the state of the Colts right now. How are you? Guys, the quarterback situation makes no difference. Until you improve our offensive line, it does not matter. You can go get Johnny United. You can go get any quarterback you want to get, and it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, we just have no line. That's just bottom line. Uh, I was telling the guy that took the phone call, I wish we could go find 10 road graders that, that we could put at the offensive line. I'd like to have Dallas's offensive line. Dallas protects their quarterback most of the time. Uh, and I'll be honest with you guys, who are you going to get in the draft that wants to play behind our offensive line? I wouldn't. I would not want to play there because as soon as the ball snap, within three seconds, you're getting it. So I don't. it doesn't matter who plays quarterback. The problem lies in the offensive line that is no good. They need to get rid of all of them guys. They need to go draft some linemen. Um, second of all, um, as far as the, quarter, the, the coach goes, the one I would like to go get is Sean Payton. Uh, I wish R.S.A. would just buckle up and go find a way to get him and let him work with Chris Ballard. Sean Payton would be the person I'd like to get. Uh, I don't know if you're going to get Harbaugh or not because I'm not sure he's dumb enough to leave Michigan to come to us right now because there's a rebuild we have to do. We've got to fix an offensive line. You know, the bad thing is, guys, is this. Our defense is good enough to have won the division. It's the offense that's so bad. So I'll let y'all talk about it. I appreciate taking my call. No problem, Billy. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, I, I agree with large portions of what he mentioned, though I would also argue that, and I'm not saying Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis can be this, to name a few of the list, but the league has proven time and time again if you have a mobile, dynamic quarterback, you can fix a lot of your offensive line issues. A larger issue for me is if Bron Ryman is a true left tackle uh, solution or if they need to figure that one out. But either way, it, it, you're, you're splitting hairs there. If, if you continue to go the patch route work, BK, for a quarterback, I agree with Billy that the O-line has to be fixed. If you're bringing in a young quarterback, it's not the end of the world. You can build it out a little bit. Well, I, again, it's the Justin Fields effect. If you right. do not address the offensive line and you draft a young quarterback, I mean, he's just going to get his butt whooped. Sure. I mean, it, it is, it's remarkable to me that Justin Fields does not have further injury after what has happened with the Chicago Bears. We will go back to the phone lines. Here's Rob's phone call. Rob, you can go ahead. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you guys. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Rob. And all I want to say is, all I want for Christmas is an offensive line. <laughs> Billy stole my thunder there. God bless him. Number two, any kind of receiver that can catch a football. Mo Alley Cox, goodbye. <laughs> and and number three, how about we have a coach that can call? They're still using the original playbook from Frank Reich. Why? <laughs> so that's all I have to say. Rob, Fair we appreciate you. It's 
I, I think the playbook for Reich is more so because Parks Frazier worked under him, and I don't yeah. think a brand new playbook is going to come midseason, which I, I do appreciate the thought, Rob, that, again, you fired Frank Reich for a reason. One would think maybe you're not addressing his sensei skills, but again, <laughs> your midseason, it was already a disaster when Frank Reich was being fired. You promoted the guy who was basically his number one personal assistant to the play caller and those players are going to be used Jimmy yeah I mean that, that that's that's a non-factor for me right now I mean I guess look you bring Jeff Saturday in midseason and it's a patchwork move just like you did at quarterback right maybe it's worse than a patchwork move depending on where you sit on the whole you need experience debate right and that's not what I'm trying to open up right now I'm just saying you're exactly right on that, BK. It's a lot to do with the personnel you have in there being similar with Frank Reich's offense. Also, even though you have experienced quarterbacks under center, in theory, like at least in terms of their mental IQ, you're not trying to reinvent an entire style of offense at the midpoint of the season because when they made this change, you could argue way more than you can now that they were a legitimate playoff contender. There was still hope and a better than 40% chance they get there. So you're just not going to reinvent the wheel in that regard. Again, the offensive line thing, it, it is a, it's going to be a constant struggle. I will tell you this, though. Offensive line across the league, you're going to get varying levels of success. It can be patchworked far easier than the most important position in football can be, and that's the quarterback slot. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm saying it's easier than continuing to go down this route of bringing in washed up old veterans at quarterback and putting them under center. And the last couple callers have asked for a prominent coach. Billy mentioned Sean Payton. I mean, I think Jim Irsay would love to pay Sean Payton. Still under contract with the Saints. I know. You know that. I I know that, but I'm also saying that I don't think Sean Payton's wish list at the top of it features Indiana. I don't know how old the quote is. It's been this year, though, within the last four or five months. He was on a podcast or he was somewhere. Again, I'm... I don't remember the source, so I apologize for that. But he basically was asked about getting back into coaching, and, and his answer was something along the lines of he'd like to be with a contender. Colts are not that right now. Now, he didn't address a specific scenario where, Sean, here's the keys. Here's the Bill Belichick role. You are our coach and GM. I'm not saying that always works. I'm just saying if you wanted to get a guy like Sean Payton who wants to go to a contender, you need to entice him in a way that he's actively a part of a rebuild. Nick Foles, QB1 for the Indianapolis Colts. John's phone call is up next at 317-239-1070. John, the floor is yours. Hey, real quick. This Nick Foles thing, it sounds really dysfunctional. And anytime you hear something like this, it's got to come from the top, Jim Irsay. Everybody keeps talking about head coach and and GM, but you know what? It's not going to change unless the owner steps aside or someone gets them under control because – if the front office is dysfunctional, the fields won't be dysfunctional. So if the owner of the company is dysfunctional, something's got to happen. I mean, it's just got to stop. But I know it's not going to stop. I'm, I'm, I'm just lost for words right now. You can get Sean Payton. You can get, you can bring back Vince Lombardi. And it's still going to be the same result as long as Jim Mercer owns this team. So unless he goes, everything's going to stay the same. I'm sorry, guys. Have a good day. Thanks. John, Merry Christmas to yeah, you. Merry Christmas, John. Appreciate the call. Uh, couldn't disagree with you more. We talked about this yesterday. Um, there are a lot of owners in the NFL that are not willing to go spend money and try to make their team a, into a contender without really a, a price being an object of that. Uh, and on top of that, regardless of how you feel about Jim Irsay or regardless of how you know, sometimes those, those pressers on the golf carts or wherever they are are, are havoc and make you chuckle, that's great. 
He genuinely cares about this franchise. He wants them to be a winner. He cares about the city of Indianapolis. There are a lot of organizations around the NFL that aren't as lucky. So, no, I'm not. I'm not pinning this on Jim Irsay. He's not the one that's... At this point in the season, I don't care. If Jim Irsay feels the need to step in, again, there's no playoffs on the table anymore. If Jim wants to go play quarterback, that's fine. That's, that's he probably team. technically he can. can. BK would argue he has more mobility than Matt Ryan at this point anyway, so it's probably for the best. Uh, well, <laughs> he, he might at this rate. Too many heaters and he won't. Um, you know, it's, it's Sean Payton keeps on getting brought up. I, I think if the team that the Colts are going to see on Monday ends up blowing it this year, Brandon Staley may be in trouble, and that's a spot where Sean Payton could have some interest. I mean, you think about working with a Justin Herbert. I mean, all those years that Sean Payton had with Drew Brees, they have weapons, they have an Eckler, they have an Allen. I mean, that's a spot that you can sense a Sean Payton. They are three to five steps ahead of their post-Philip Rivers life. They had the quarterback. They went and drafted him. I know a lot of Colts fans, in hindsight now, you really like some did want him at the time, but really wanted Herberts, really liked Justin. He's had a handful of years now to develop. I think this is year three for him. He is just outside of that realm of Allen, Burrow, and Mahomes in terms of the AFC. He's right there. I throw Lamar Jackson in there as well. I would love, if I'm Sean Payton, to go to Los Angeles. I'd absolutely love it. That's that's the type of spot that makes sense for him. Before the timeout, we will hit JJ's phone call at 317-239-1070. JJ, go ahead. Hey, what's going on, guys? You doing all right? Yeah, how you good, brother. How are you? Good. Hey, real quick. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Ursay and how much he's dedicated. Listen, there's a lot of money still left on the table because of uh, the offensive line and what we've invested in quarterbacks here over the last three years. So you can tell that Ursay is definitely a guy that is for Indianapolis. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. So I agree with you there. Um, and also. People need to understand that some players are drafted for certain roles. You look at a Sam Ellinger. Was he really drafted to be the franchise quarterback? No. I mean, I don't think he was. He was drafted to be a supplemental, make sure you get yourself ready just in case a quarterback goes down type of quarterback. He has had his moments of good time. I, I appreciate that. But people need to understand some players are drafted for certain positions. And that being said, money left on the table. Hey, you're paying foes. Why not put him out on the field? Put him out on the field so he can play. We got nothing to lose right now. And, you know, let's do this because it's it's still the Indianapolis Colts. We will be, be back to a, a, a time when we're going to be good again. Go ahead and lay everything out right now why we can have the chance to do that. Appreciate you guys. JJ, thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, JJ. Appreciate the rational call. phone call. Yeah, it's probably the most rational phone call we've gotten. No doubt about that. Look, I I appreciate that, but I also appreciate the, the irrational calls as well, like you do, because I understand it's a frustrating time for this fan base. There has been it's been a, a a cultural shift and a culture shock for a lot of Colts fans post Andrew Luck. Again, we're not going to get into that. I'm not opening the can of worms. Just addressing that will always be a benchmark with this franchise until the next quarterback, until the next face of the franchise arrives. And they've continued to flounder around this. Whether you're team Bauer or not, I've made my thoughts pretty clear on that. I, I think you should have parted ways with them when you parted ways with Reich. I think that you would be better off with a clean slate and a clean rebuild this year. It's not that it's not my decision on that front, clearly, but that's why I'm so fascinated this offseason. In terms of the rest of this year, BK, I know you and I are, are splitting hairs in regards to what's under center or what you want to see out of it, 
But the more fascinating storyline for me with this Colts team is the next chapter that we have to, again, piece our way to get there. We have to get through these final three weeks. But once the offseason arrives and once the playoffs are over, where this team goes, I get the Sean Payton love. I understand it. I might be wrong on this, but I'd almost argue that you'd have a better chance of peeling Harbaugh away from Michigan, not not on the money aspect, but just on the idea of this was his franchise. He's in the ring of honor. Like this is a a team that was a part of his life. If the NFL window is there, you give him arguably same control, have a clear say of this rebuild. But if you're going big name, big coach, I think there's a, a high level chance that they are having a, a, as they should, a high say of what this organization looks like in this rebuild process. At VJ Cook on Twitter, I'm at BKing Sports. Eddie is at Eddie Garrison underscore. We can take more of your phone calls next. Coming up at one o'clock, Jeremiah Johnson will be with us. One thirty, it's Stephen Holder from ESPN. Two o'clock, Ryan Rucco as well from. ESPN and Matt Schumacher, my good buddy, play-by-play man for Fox Sports. He is on the call for the Big East Speed. He's got the Butler Creighton game tomorrow. Shu will call in, talk some college shoops at two thirty. Good show for you on the Wednesday before Christmas. We're coming back next on ninety-three-five and one hundred seven-five. The Fan. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King, Hell of Fan Midday Show. Again, in case you're just joining us, breaking news out of Colts Land today. Colts make the switch. <laughs> nice song choice to Nick Foles as a starting quarterback for Week 16 against the Chargers. Again, you would presume you would presume that's likely for the rest of the season. Though Jeff Saturday clarifying today, it's going to be a, a week by week basis how they evaluate the rest of the depth chart. Uh, nobody else announced in terms of a backup for Matt Ryan. Again, if you're if you're making an assumption or two based on how everything's gone. My assumption, BK, would be that Sam Ellinger is going to be the number two. I mean, I guess you could feasibly put Ryan as number two when you haven't, you know, said he's hurt or this is an injury move. That wasn't said in Jeff Saturday's comments. But ultimately, it remains to be seen what they decide to do with the rest of the depth chart. The only answer at the end of the day right now is Matt Ryan's time as the quarterback of the Colts in 2022 is done. Enter Nick Foles, stage left. You know, Ryan has been very humble this year with everything that has happened to him. But if I'm him, and I'm a potential Hall of Fame guy, I'd have a hard time being at this point this time getting benched. Because he was benched last time, even though he was injured. Because they came out and said it. And that was to the organization's mistake for a guy that's not here anymore. But if I'm Ryan and you get benched again and it's literally the Walmart brand version of me, I, I'd probably it's a little tough. bit more PO'd. It's tough. It, it, am I wrong, Jimmy? I mean, not not over the body of their careers. No, you're not. You're not wrong. I understand Foles has a Super Bowl and a ring and an MVP. Only, I, mean, I, I understand. I'm talking about play. One, 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 one was an MVP, play one was a starter for 13 on years. The yeah, field. I, I, play I, I agree. on the field. I agree. It, it is the off-brand version of Matt Ryan, and suddenly it's supposed to be something good. Well, well you and I have talked about that. It's a matter of it's going to be something good as much as it's just getting through the final three games of the regular season. We're going to have much more on that as the show unfolds, but up next, we'll shift gears a bit. 
Get you set for Pacers Celtics tonight. Jeremiah Johnson of Bally Sports going to join myself and Brandon King here on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075, the fan. The powerful Celtics and the Pacers tonight at TD Garden, 7.30 in Boston. Pacers are 15-16, and 16, Celtics are 22-9. and 9. I was reading the other day, Jason Tatum missed a game to go to his son's five, five-year-old birthday party. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Going to be dad. Jason Tatum. All counts are, though, he's back to take on the Pacers. Speaking of the Pacers, Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana will be on coverage from Boston. Coverage on Bally at 7. Same case for here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Tip time at 7.30. Jeremiah, we've talked a lot about it over the last week or so. This stretch for the Pacers really does seem like murderer's row before Christmas because in a three-game stretch, you got Boston, Miami, and New Orleans, and then you got to deal with Atlanta back at home two days after Christmas. Yeah, it's a difficult stretch, not just in terms of uh, maybe I won't put Atlanta in this category, but the previous four teams, the physicality that they play with, and it's something that Rick Carlisle, he brought up before the game against Cleveland, in one way, it's good because for preparation, you're, you're preparing for similar kinds of teams and styles of play. At the same time, these are the kind of teams that I think with the current makeup of the Pacers roster can cause some issues. They want to prevent those fast break points and those opportunities. They're tough rebounding teams. And so it's maybe a little bit of a counter to what the Pacers do well. Oddly enough, they seem to match up really well with teams like Golden State that want to get out and run because the Pacers can run with anyone that wants to play that kind of game. If someone wants to slow it down, if a team has a bunch of bruisers, as you might expect from, uh, even though Boston isn't maybe as big and physical as New York, they play really good defense. So it'll be a big challenge. JJ, after the nice start for the Pacers, obviously the schedule's gotten a little bit tougher as well, but 3-7 and seven in their last 10. As this team kind of tries to find its identity, what's been the biggest uh, either telling mark or the biggest area of growth that's still needed for this group as again they're still a very young team but still have aspirations to try to make the playoffs this year yeah i think the big thing would be closing out games fourth quarter um and having the confidence to do so every game it seems like is close midway through the fourth they're in a position where if they make a few plays offensively or perhaps get a couple of key stops or maybe a critical rebound they, they would come away victorious, and they just haven't been able to do that against some of the elite teams. I would just say probably uh, the schedule has taken a little bit of a turn where you can beat teams like Charlotte and Houston and, and Detroit and Orlando when you're not playing your best, and you played all those teams in a span of you know two or three weeks. And so the record showed the Pacers are better than those teams. On uh, equal playing field, maybe they're not as good right now as the Cavs, as you know, the Knicks, at least that night. I mean, they're, they're very close, though. The, the margin for error is very slim, but they're really right there, and it's just a matter of closing out some of these games. I think they made some key plays in the fourth quarters of games early in the season when they were getting wins. They haven't been able to make that, that key, key basket or key stop in the last couple of weeks. Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana is with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service 
and power tools. JJ, I know with rookies, you always got to be cognizant of um, making sure they're comfortable and giving them the best possible situations and matchups. But Rick has seemed to really like Ben Matherin coming off the bench, and then Andrew Nemhard has really taken a role in that starting five ever since he went off for the first time against Golden State. Do you see those roles sticking, or as we go along, do you consider that maybe Rick will continue to reevaluate things? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it, may, it would make sense at some point that maybe, I don't know necessarily to say that you would flip Mather and for Nemhard. I think there may be some other things could be in play there, but I think you definitely, in the short term, like what you're getting from Matherin in terms of playing with two different groups. He comes off the bench and T.J. McConnell gets him going and he's the focal point of that second unit. I'm not sure he would have that same opportunity the flow of games with the starting five. But then if it's a close game, you basically have really six guys and you're playing five of those dependent upon the situation and the opponent. But he, he, a lot of times this season we've seen him come in the game midway through the third quarter and then play the entire fourth quarter, something that Rick Carlisle has said he doesn't really like to do just in terms of minutes played and fatigue, but he's done it on more than one occasion. So that tells you the confidence that he has in in Benedict Mather, and I think it's just trying to think big picture, ease him into the NBA, get him on the court maybe at times against to get going offensively, and as he continues to work on his all-around game. So he said we know where this is going, I think, when asked about it at one point this season. I think we all would understand Included would understand at some point he's going to be starting. And I don't think anybody's necessarily concerned about which date on the schedule that happens. JJ, of course, Coach Carlisle prides himself on not only effort on defense, but just success rate on defense. This is a Boston team that even ignoring the, the absence of uh, Jason Tatum against the Magic last time out that has struggled a bit offensively after starting really hot to open the year. Where are the keys in your mind to another successful defensive outing against, like you mentioned, a, a barometer team, if you will, a contender in the East that you would like to to one day, maybe not this year, but one day be in that same breath of the conversation of competing for the Larry O'Brien Trophy? Well, for tonight's game specifically, I think individually there are two keys, and one of them is Andrew Nemhard that you mentioned. The reason he's in the starting lineup right now, and I'm not saying he's in over Mather, but he's just in in general is because of his ability to guard defensively, which is just a, a compliment to him for a rookie to have that trait. And so he will likely, I would guess, guard you know, one of those two guys, and then someone else that's likely to get that assignment at times tonight is someone who knows both uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown well, and that's Aaron Neesmith. And I've really been impressed by the way he's played the last couple of weeks, maybe a little bit of a slow start to the season, and he, he battled through some foot injuries, but he played really well against the Knicks. I was all prepared to do the walk-off interview with him if he would have been if it would have been a Pacers win, and I talked to him after practice, and he knows these guys as well as anyone. He played in third team with the Celtics and going against them in practice. So if anybody has a good chance to slow them down and also when you combine the confidence that he's playing with, it would be Aaron Neesmith. So I really am going to be watching how he plays. He, he, he acknowledged sometimes a player will give you the, it's just another game. He acknowledged this is a big night for him, a big game, the team that drafted him. And then after two seasons, so I'm looking forward to seeing him step up to the challenge tonight. JJ led me right into my next question. Was going to talk about Aaron Neesmith. I thought he was a huge factor in that Knicks game being on hand. I mean, the physicality and the energy he brings offensively and defense, defensively as well. But uh, what do you think most he fills for this team? Maybe that was missing before. Well, you know, Wings, the 3 and D type of player, I think probably for a number of years, and even let's go back to when, when TJ Warren 
got injured, I think it was maybe something that was missing from the roster. And even when the Pacers acquired T.J. Warren, he was a three. I'm not sure he was the D. Uh, but he played a lot better defense than I think anyone gave him credit for. So you need that length, that physicality on the perimeter. And that's the thing that I think he will give you night in, night out. The offense is probably at this point in his career maybe still a little inconsistent when he gets a good open look and he's playing well. You feel like that three's going in, but there have been stretches this season where it hasn't gone down as much as he would probably like. But I think uh, the defense on the wing, the confidence that you can have him guard uh, Tatum or Brown or maybe even, let's say, Jimmy Butler on Friday against the Heat and, and feel good about your chances is something that the Pacers haven't really had that lockdown that's how he can maybe make a name for himself in a long NBA career if he can continue to improve that aspect of his game. JJ, to kind of build off of that point, Jeremiah Johnson, nice enough to join us here on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline or the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as power tools, snow blowers, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the motorshop.com. Uh, JJ, to that point about uh, Aaron Neesmith and just you know, from a storyline perspective, I know that's that's part of your job, you know, man in the sidelines that looking for kind of the nuggets and the ins and outs. We always like to joke about a good revenge game. I don't know if there's that much animosity on the Neesmith front, and I don't even know if there's any on the Malcolm Brogdon front. But, of course, he another big storyline tonight with it being a matchup against the Pacers since that trade happened. Uh, where is your observation from afar on that and, and Brogdon's uh, tenure to this point in Boston through 40 games? It's a good question, and it's a little odd that maybe it'll be a little bit of a bigger storyline when Boston comes to Indiana, but maybe not the hype for this, considering what he was signed as, and or at least you know the Pacers made that sign and trade with the Bucks, and what you thought of him as the point guard of the future at the time. And I, I think all parties you maybe didn't work out the way that they had anticipated. And when you start with a different era, a new era, and maybe a different timeline, Malcolm Brogdon doesn't really fit. And let's be honest, he was not able to stay healthy, maybe make the impact that he likes. So going into this matchup, I, it wasn't the first thing we were planning to talk about on the pregame show, maybe middle of the show, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But uh, I think it has been, from his perspective, he's only missed five games out of 31. And so that's something percentage-wise better than he was able to do with the Pacers, and part of that could be the minutes played. I looked at his stats this morning, and um, lowest minutes per game of his career, scoring average down near his first or second year in the Bucks. And I think part of that's just opportunity, just not gotten the Celtics. But I don't think he's complaining about it. It seems like he's happy to be here with Boston and, you know, eyes of the opportunity to be on a championship type of team where Boston is right now. So, uh, you know, no hard feelings, no animosity, but also maybe not the hype that you would you would think for the circumstances. Jeremiah Johnson is with us. JJ, what does a healthy Chris Duarte bring most to a Pacers squad? Well, he's just a knockdown three-point shooter, and you can never have enough of those. And all you have to do is think back to the way he started his season, you know, with that game in Charlotte and some other opportunities where you were – you were showing some highlights of Chris Duarte and also his ability to hit shots in clutch situations or maybe even end of quarters. His, his buzzer-beating reel has got three or four nice shots on it. So I think that's the one thing that you always want to add to a team. You, you can never have too much shooting, and so that's what he brings. Defensively, he made great strides when healthy last season, so that's what you'd want to continue to see if he can stay healthy, if he can continue to play really good defense. So uh, it's just another wing. You can never have a, a wing or a 
the one thing that will be interesting to follow over the next couple of weeks, if, if he stays healthy and everyone else does as well, there's competition for playing time. There, there are going to be times and situations where someone's not in the game in the fourth quarter, and you might ask yourself, well, there's so-and-so in the doghouse. It won't necessarily be the case. It's just a number situation, and that's uh, what you would call a pleasant problem for Rick Carlson. They're going to evaluate everything, but it does make everyone that is playing play their absolute best because they know a bad couple of games, and you know, it could be next man up, not due to injury. JJ, what do you guys got coming up tonight on the pregame? Well, Eddie Gill's on the road, so that's always exciting. I know he'll be contributing double duty on the radio side of things during the game with Mark Boyle, but we'll have him on Pacers Live pregame, postgame as well. And also, Quinn Buckner will join Eddie and I in the second segment. We'll ask some interesting questions. Uh, a Larry Bird-related topic coming mm. from our producer, Ken Sothman. So uh, a little bit of a roundtable discussion. I think the games at TD Garden, it's always it's kind of always one of those moments. I, I pinch myself every game to have this opportunity, but when I'm sitting courtside – with the parquet floor underneath and, and looking up in the rafters, doing a pregame show. It's one of those moments that you don't take for granted, and we'll bring the energy and the enthusiasm tonight at 7 o'clock. It's a cool spot, JJ. Have a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jer- Jeremiah. Jeremiah Johnson with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. That is one building where efficiency is needed because they go from hardwood to ice in a matter of, of a real you ever see the love the time lapse yeah time lapse videos of ice to hardwood because i mean with the way that the schedules work i mean it's basically every other night that you got to go back and forth those from td garden and then at uh crypt.com or whatever staples staples yeah yeah whatever well i mean you know it's one of the you think of those buildings those types of buildings td garden madison square garden the united center in chicago just like the sears tower will always be the sears tower it will always be the staples center no yeah yeah i agree at least for i mean it's one of those things a generational thing right and then you look at the next generation like oh you're ignorant it's staples center oh it's a sears yeah yeah i for sure uh do we have like a command center update noise, breaking news noise? Uh, no. I no. I would love if we can get one of those because per Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Star, this was tweeted at 12.33 p.m. This should put a nice little feeling in the hearts of Colts fans. Nick Foles acknowledged that he has not taken any snaps with the first team offense at all this year and that he's been on scout team. So he has not taken any snaps in the Colts offense since training camp. He don't need it. Come on, Super Bowl champ. He's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> MV Foles, baby. Terrible. Come on, he's fine. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Jimmy, your thoughts? I mean, look, I... I guess Ellinger's been the benefit of it a little bit more because of... He actually got a little bit of run this year when they made the benching. Um, I don't know. That's not... There's so many other bigger factors for me that it just makes me laugh. But it's like, all right, again, we're moving on. We're getting through these final three weeks of the season. I don't know. I mean, that's not there, – there's very few moves that the franchise could make in the next 21 days that would drive me off a cliff more than it already has. Like, there's just – there's barring the team being sold, I don't think there's anything that would, that would like, truly shock me to my core at this point. Until we get to the offseason, then everything's I mean, hell, Baker Mayfield knew the Rams guys for a matter of 24 hours, and he led them to a win, a little touchdown with Van Jefferson. So anything's possible. Eddie, you have thoughts on on Mr. Foles? Like I said earlier, I still think 
He's the guy that you're trying to figure out what's around the roster and not what you have at quarterback. Foles is Foles. Like, you know what you've got in him. The NFL knows what you have in him. To me, this just, I mean, Kevin has said this numerous times on the show, on the on Kevin Inquiry and through, you know, his podcast, Kevin's Corner, that he has been asking for Nick Foles over Sam Ellinger simply because Foles allows you to evaluate the roster better. Like, is it a Matt Ryan problem why Michael Pittman Jr. and the tight ends and Paris Campbell haven't had as big of a season as they thought? Is it the offensive line? And having Nick Foles in there, I think, answers a lot of those questions. You know, what Eddie just said, Jimmy, of Paris Campbell and Pittman struggling, not so much for Pittman, but for Campbell. Campbell's playing for a new contract. Yep. And he did have those hot, literally two weeks where he was the number one fantasy football waiver pickup and everybody had to have him on their team and he was anticipated to score, you know, 10 fantasy points the next week or whatever. And then it just went back to quietness. So Paris Campbell is a guy, and again, we're not fully in offseason talk yet, but he, he's going to get run somewhere if he doesn't bring him back. He's shown he at is. least for a full season that he can stay healthy. He has that dynamic speed that people would gladly have as a, as a, as a third or fourth option in an offense. Uh, who knows? Maybe the Colts even bring it back. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. He's quieted down. But BK, to your point, so is the offense as a whole, right? I mean, it's 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 the sum of its parts. There's not a ton of, ooh, that's glaring next level production from any piece of this offense right now. Hasn't been for the last three or four weeks. You can't even say in the Vikings game. So we talked about it earlier in the week. The offense did not take you to that 33 to nothing advantage. The offense put up, what, seven points? Not not including the field goals, but seven points of, of scoring drives through that run. The rest of it was either defense or special teams done. This is still a clearly flawed offensive component across the board that is not going to be addressed until the offseason and is quarterback needs to be answered, but you also need to, whatever you do at quarterback, have more weapons and assets along the offense and the offensive line. And, and when it is time to be evaluated, though, I just don't know how major decision makers and this is not necessarily saying Ballard but it's the front office as a whole it's the scouting department it's the assistant GMs it's the everybody that goes into Ballard making the final decision the the, the slap on the wrist will go get him next year it's just not a viable option anymore it's just not it's just not what other football franchises in this league would do Jimmy when the Colts have had their issues over the last couple years, probably 2020 forward, especially last year. I just other organizations in football do not have their decision makers in the front office survive the mistakes that the Colts have been through, yet they are still here. And I just get no sense, Jimmy, that they're serious about being accountable for their mistakes. In the front office, I agree with you on that. In the front office, you can't, you can't say it's a full organization because Reich's gone, right? Like that. Front like they, office. They, this is strictly front that, office. No, I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I've made this clear. I'm going to continue to stress it that it, to me, Bauer is not your GM. That's that's just what I would do. I'm not saying that is what's going to happen. That hasn't been reported on. The thought to me is that you're going in a different direction this offseason. You should have done it sooner, right? When you got rid of Reich, but here we are. He's Bauer is still here. He is still a general manager. I would go in a different direction this off season. But all that being said, BK, it, you cannot critique the aspect of Jim Irsay caring about the franchise because I believe he truly does. I believe that he would spend any amount of money 
to turn this team into a contender. It's deeper than just spending money in this league, particularly for smaller market teams, too. You can't just do that every single year. There has to be results that are put up with it as well. But on top of that, just because I think he wants what's best for the franchise doesn't mean he could be wrong. He is still not immune to being incorrect. And what he ultimately does with this Ballard decision and where things go, let's say it is still Ballard. We're going to talk to uh, Stephen Holder, I believe, at 2.30 this afternoon. And he had a tweet uh, last night kind of talking about the last conversations that he's had with Jim Irsay and that his, at least from what reading those interactions, that Stephen thinks that Ballard's still going to be the GM next year. I think that that is going to be what happens. I'm not saying that's what I want to happen. I'm not saying that's the right decision. But based on the fact that they didn't cut ties at the same time and the way Ursay's spoken about Ballard publicly, I think he's still here. Which, to your point, is a question of at what point are lines drawn is discipline for failings laid out with this organization. I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. Chap made the point yesterday, or whenever we had him, that uh, you're, you're paying Frank $9 million a year to not be here. Does Jim want to continue writing those blank checks to people that are not impacting his organization positively anymore? Eddie brought up the point the other day. You would be paying four people for two positions, which I think is a remarkable point, and it's something seriously to think about that a lot of people have been through. But if you are going to draw that line in the sand, Jimmy, I truly believe that Jim is holding on to the multiple Lombardis in his hands because he truly believed that this regime would work because he did not want to have to fire Chuck when he did years ago. He had to. They did. He brought along this regime because he thought they were the smartest men in football at the time. Frank ended up being okay for a short period of time. He's gone. Ballard has tried to build this team his way. It has not worked. Other teams in this league are doing laps around him when it comes to the strategy of putting together a football team. It's the Indianapolis 500. The guy that started 33rd is slow as hell, and he's getting lapped because others are making better decisions under the hood than he has, and it continues to bite him. And on that same front, why we've been arguing for this offseason to be the year they finally take a quarterback, we've cautioned you that we understand that it is not an automatic fix for this team bringing in a young quarterback, regardless of if he sits for two years or goes straight into the fire with the baptism by fire at the quarterback spot, regardless of what door the Colts choose, they are behind the eight ball in the lottery ticket game of quarterbacks. You look at the bottom half of the league, there are teams that are either yet to make that plunge or are starting to. Desmond Ritter is now getting run for the Falcons. Do I think he's a franchise quarterback? I have no idea. I don't think he's ever going to be just right now. Again, I'm kind of talking to air right now because I don't have a lot of substance with Ritter because all we have is his college tape and the Falcons are a bad team, but maybe he turns into something. The Jets, you thought the Zach Wilson experiment was over. He did not look great this past weekend, but he did enough to keep things alive even though they ultimately lost to the Lions he gave him a shot for a, a game tying or game winning field goal I can't remember which it was I think it was game tying Kenny Pickett that experiment one year in has looked disastrous that looks like taking a guy to take a guy it didn't work out for you Mac Jones not the answer for the Patriots the difference between those teams is they know the quickest way to do it with how they're constructed is drafting quarterbacks taking a shot at one doesn't have to be the first round I just rather it not be the sixth 
Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. I'm not saying Dak is the elite of the elite, but Dak is a high-quality starter that a lot of teams would love to have run their system. That's what I need to see from the Colts this year. I I would like a number one, or not number one, a first-round pick, but I would also like to see a clear direction of the Band-Aid doesn't work anymore because the only way the Band-Aid works is if the rest of your team is built to contend. The rest of this team is not built to contend. They're flawed in a number of different ways. We need to get to the end of the season at this point. To your larger point about Nick Foles and Sam Ellinger, it's it's a non-factor to me because the future of this team does not happen these next three weeks. The future of this team happens post three weeks from now when the offseason begins. At the Jay Cook on Twitter, at B King Sports, at Eddie Garrison underscore. We're going to do a little audible here. We're going to do a little Omaha, Jimmy. Matt Schumacher is going to call in from Omaha, by the way. Do you like that? I like it. Yeah. Like double. Uh, he's got Creighton and Butler tomorrow. My good buddy, play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports. Shoe is on the Big East beat. You see him at Xavier a lot. You see him at Creighton, at Butler. He'll join us to talk some dogs, talk some college hoops, IU, Purdue, and the latest AP Top 25 poll, Ryan Rucco. From ESPN, national play-by-play guy is going to be with us at 2. Stephen Holder, you can now catch him at 2.30. We'll get his reaction to the Nick Foles news. Again, Nick Foles, Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, is your new QB1 for the Colts, at least for now. On a weekly basis, three weeks to go, Chargers, Giants, and the Texans. How many of those Will Nick Foles start? We will know that answer soon. First up on Monday Night Football, the day after Christmas. Matt Schumacher, play-by-play man for Fox Sports, will join us next on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Our next guest is going to think he's got a 10-second countdown in his ear when he starts hearing this. (laughs) On the call tomorrow night. From Omaha, Butler and Creighton, the dogs looking for their first Big East win. It will be Butler alone himself, my guy Matt Schumacher, play-by-play voice for Fox Sports. Shoe will be on the call on FS1. He landed in Nebraska today, kind enough to take some time with us now on the hotline. Brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Shoe, appreciate the time, even with the crazy travel day. What I will say about tomorrow, it is... Pretty odd to see Creighton with a 6-6 six and six next to their name, but injuries have been the story for them. We'll see if the Dogs can get their first Big East win, Shu. First of all, you got me ready to run through a wall with some round ball rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to roll, baby. But, no, you're right. I, I, I was on a radio show yesterday, actually, uh, and one of the questions posed to me was, who's been the biggest surprise in college basketball this year? And one of my answers was Creighton, but for all the all the reasons that you wouldn't have thought at the beginning of the year. You know, they start 6-0, and they lose their last six. And you talked about it, Brennan, the injuries, but then also the illness um, to Ryan Kalkbrenner. That's why he's missed the last three games. And, and as good and as talented as Creighton is, Ryan Kalkbrenner is the dude. And we are seeing that over the last three games. They are a different team without him. Matt, when you look big picture at the top 25, I understand we can kind of throw these pulls out the window except for the top three or four. It really matters as, as we get closer and closer to Selection Sunday. The season's still, of course, very young. But when you look at UConn, obviously a lot of Purdue love here, a lot of Indiana love, but Purdue and UConn one and two. How Just how talented is this group of Huskies over in Connecticut? Man, I thought they were good last year. 
And then, you know, they lose R.J. Cole, Tyrese Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, Tyrese Martin, and a few other pieces. I think they're better this year than they were last year. Um, I, I was actually really impressed with how well Butler played them for three quarters of that game. Yeah. And then I think what Thad Mata said afterwards, which is that they just got worn down by the size and physicality, is accurate. You look at the, the offensive boards, Specifically, it was a nightmare for Butler to handle, and it's been a nightmare for pretty much every team in the country to handle. I think UConn is a legit, granted it's early, but you want to talk like we do in the media, early Final Four predictions, UConn's on it for me. Hmm. Well, shoot, the way that UConn plays, I know Sonogo was dominating on the offensive rebounds. I think he finished with 27-16. and 16. I think that was the final number, but... <laughs> which is remarkable, but the way that they play, Sonogo gets all these offensive rebounds, but shoot, you know what impressed me most about UConn? It's the way that they move the ball and really tire the opposing defense out, and it seems like everybody gets a touch on that team, and then by the time they take a shot, the defense is worn down, so Sonogo's fresh, he's just standing there, and then he could go get any offensive rebound because the defense is dead tired every possession. It's also how how well and how hard they defend. I mean, they made it really hard for Butler to get into any sets. A lot of the shots were contested. Passes were contested. You know, I, I, I recall watching that game thinking, man, they're having a hard time at stretches getting the ball down to Manny Bates, uh, let alone finding him a shot where he can create. I mean, he hit a couple of really tough fadeaway jumpers. Um, over Sonogo, who's the preseason player of the year. You know, he's a gr- I think he doesn't get as much credit for his defense as he should. But no, they're, they're the real deal. I'll be really interested to see that rematch uh, when hopefully Butler's a little bit more healthy. How will they be able to play UConn down the stretch? Matt Schumacher with us, play-by-play voice for Fox Sports. He's on the call tomorrow of Butler and Creighton. Shu, you let me Right into my next question, as a good play-by-play man should, Butler continues to get healthier. Ali Ali making his Butler debut against UConn. Jalen Thomas making his debut against UConn. They're still without Miles Tate, but seems like Thad Mata's team by the day gets healthier. And, Matt, there was just a little glimpse of what Ali Ali can do. But when that dude's kicking it at all cylinders, it looks like he could be a pretty dangerous player. I agree, and he can be the player that everyone was hoping he could be coming into Butler, and that is being your, you know, maybe maybe not your primary scorer, but he can get you a bucket when you need a bucket. And if he's not your primary, then he can certainly be your two. You know, if Manny Bates is really hot one night and they're starting to load up on the post, boom, Ali Ali comes in and he can hit the three. I, I was shocked when he knocked that three down, fresh off the bench, hadn't played in two months, and it was a shot that Butler needed, and he knocked it down calmly. That's the type of player that they've missed uh, at times this season against the higher-level opponents. You know, think back to Tennessee or NC State or, or UConn. And to me, Brennan, that's the story for Butler moving forward. Yes, they continue to get better. Thad's obviously got them playing good ball. Uh they just ran into a really tough UConn team. But for me, what can Jalen Thomas and Aliyah Lee provide and how quickly can they provide it? 
In that same vein, Matt, stick with Butler for a second. We talk about, as Brendan mentioned, they're getting healthier. We talk about the first season underneath this second iteration of Thad Mata. The Big East is as talented as any conference in college basketball. How are the dogs better equipped to navigate through the different struggles or ups and downs that are present within this conference in the hopes of getting back to the NCAA tournament come March? I think Manny Bates has been a massive, massive X factor. Uh, you, it's really hard to win in this conference without a premier big man. You know, Villanova's figured it out, or at least they did under Jay Wright. But you think back to some of those Villanova teams, they had really good post players. It's just that maybe the post player wasn't the focal point of the offense. But you look up and down this league, you know, Kalkbrenner at Creighton, Sonogo, uh, Joel Soriano over at, at St. John's, Oso Iguodaro for Marquette. The list goes on. Butler missed that. Now they have it in Manny Bates. And then I think, too, just experience. Um, experience matters in college basketball, I think, now more than ever with the transfer portal. So many schools have all these new pieces that they're trying to integrate. And while Butler does have some of that, they also bring back a pretty strong core of guys that played a lot of minutes last year and the minutes in the season before. Matt Schumacher, play-by-play voice for Fox Sports. He's on the call tomorrow of Butler and Creighton. Shoe, I did want to hit on a couple other teams around the state as well, and Jimmy teased it, but the number one team in the nation, still the Purdue Boilermakers, and what Purdue has done in the regular season show over the last few years has been pretty remarkable. The wins they have, the runs that they have put together, but really it's been the NCAA tournament that has hampered them. Based on what you have watched of the Boilers, Shoe, do you get a sense that this team is different, that they can take care of business when it comes down to March? I do think they're different than last year. I, I also think that, that at times I've seen them play more free this year than last year. And for some people that might be a head scratcher, but I just think their offense runs a little bit more smoothly. There's, there is one guy that is Zach Eady. Last year they had three guys that could be the guy that the offense ran through at any given time. This year, I think Edie is the focal point um, with with the graduation and players turn, turning pro. And I don't know if there's a, a player in college basketball that's more important to their team than Zach Edie is to Purdue, and he is balling out this year. Matt, switching to the other side of the state with Indiana, Obviously, they get punched in the mouth twice for a variety of different reasons in back-to-back games uh, against Arizona on a neutral site and then against Kansas at Fog. Your observations on this Indiana team as they feel themselves still in that same vein with Purdue, who's in the driver's seat right now in terms of the Big Ten as we get into conference play and where you kind of evaluate them as conference play starts and as they try to make the tournament once again. Yeah, man, I, I just feel bad for, for Xavier Johnson. Yeah. The guy who's, like, so excited for this second chance at Indiana. The, the, the pieces seem to be coming together for Mike Woodson in his second year. Got all these guys back. And, and now Johnson, as, as Woodson put it the other day, he'll be lucky to play again this year. So now... You know, not only are you coming off a couple of these losses and they've dealt with other injuries, but now your point guard is possibly out for the year. 
the good news for Indiana is that Jalen Hood Shafino's back, and he is a stud. I'm actually on their game Friday night in Bloomington, and I've had them once or twice already this year, and and they've been they've been impressive. Obviously, against the higher level competition, post play becomes a concern. Um, I do think Indiana's a tournament team. How deep they'll go, you know, you never know in March. So they could get hot and make a little run to the second weekend, and then after that. It's a roll of the dice. But I, I do think even with their struggles against – I mean, look, Kansas, they're the defending national champions, and they look like it. Uh, Arizona, really, really good team. I still think Indiana is a, is a team that plays in March. Shoe, one thing you definitely know covering the Big East and the Big Ten, it's true in the Big East, but it's especially true in the Big Ten. I mean, if your opponent smells blood in the water – and you're struggling injury-wise, you're struggling just putting the ball in the basket, you're probably going to get exposed in that conference. We've seen it time and again. And right now, Shu, that's what Indiana cannot afford. No, you're right. And, and the, tough, the tough part about these two conferences is when you've got guys who are just coming back from injury like Butler does, or you've got a change in the lineup, at a really important position like Indiana does, you don't have time to figure it out because you're playing dogs every three nights in that league. And, you know, I I had – I think it's funny when you talk about the Big Ten this year, nationally, I feel like going into the season, there was this feeling that the Big Ten was going to have a down year. I think that has been totally flipped on its head. You could make the argument that of the power conferences, the Big Ten had the best non-conference performance. And then you look night one, night two, night three in the Big Ten, there were three teams that upset top 25. I had the Northwestern at Michigan State game. It was like the second time ever or the first time since 1962 that Northwestern had beaten Michigan State back-to-back years. Hmm. You just never know who's going to get you on a night in that league. I think that's what it makes it special, and it's also what makes it a little bit concerning for Indiana fans who are wondering, how quickly can we figure this out? Matt Schumacher with us here on the Fan Midday Show, play-by-play voice for Fox Sports. Shoot, last thing before we send you on your way, appreciate the time, by the way, is uh, our good pal, Former colleague of yours, former broadcast partner of yours, Steve Lavin is killing it as the new head coach at San Diego. He's a game above 500, taking over a program that really needed a makeover. He's got a win against Florida Gulf Coast, who might be the biggest wagon that nobody's talking about. Uh, Good for our boy Lav. He seems to be really doing well. I love it for him. I remember meeting him years ago now at the Big East Tournament for the first time. and He was like the mayor of the Garden. Everybody. (laughs) I'm not talking just St. John's fans. Everybody coming up to him, you know, fans, media members, players, shaking his hand. And, uh, you know, I asked him then, do you, do you want to get back into coaching? He said, yeah, but it's got to be the right fit. And when the San Diego job came open, <laughs> I don't know if there's a better fit for Steve Lavin. He is a Cali guy <laughs> through and through. Even though he does have – you know, some New York to him coaching at, at St. John's, but I'm happy for Steve Lavin. And if I was a betting man, I would put money on 
on the Toros being in the tournament before his tenure is done at San Diego. I'm with you, brother. Yeah, you're right. He's Cali cool, but he's got that Italian mobster pinstripe suit, godfather <laughs> feel that he could just whack you at any time. So that he's the man, and you are the man, Shu, for taking some time with us. Have a great call tomorrow. You're on Butler Creighton on FS1, and have a lot of fun, Shu. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Matt Schumacher, play-by-play voice for Fox Sports. He is a Butler alum. Shu was a senior when I was a freshman. So he immediately really was kind to me and mentored me, and he is doing amazing things right now for Fox, and he is a new dad as well. So congrats to Shu. Got a lot going in his life. He is a stud, and he'll do a great job on the call tomorrow of Butler Creighton. We'll take a timeout. Coming up at 2, Ryan Rucco from ESPN. 2.30, it'll be Stephen Holder talking Colts again. Nick Foles is the starting quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts the day after Christmas on Monday Night Football. Quick timeout, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on The Fan Midday Show. You can catch Eddie Garrison at Envy Nightclub <laughs> on Saturday night. <laughs> Christmas Eve special. No, DJ that's Christmas EG. special. Yeah. yeah, DJ. Yeah, I like that. You can, you can work on that. You can modify it all you want. Big news of the day. Nick Foles, QB1 for the Colts for the remainder of the season. It would it would appear, again, it's going to be a week-by-week observational basis as well, how the depth chart goes, but it's been our reactions throughout the day. Kevin Bowen, our own Kevin Bowen, was out there for press conferences with Jeff Saturday confirming that information addressed already that the playbook won't change much at all for Nick Foles and this experiment of Matt Ryan, at least for this season, you could argue whichever side you want to, whether it's all Matt Ryan, whether it's the offensive line, I I think it's a little bit of both. Either way, it leads to a season that's going to end up with no playoffs for the Colts. Now it's a matter of getting the torch towards the finish line. You, earlier in the show, BK, like I'm sure a couple other Colts fans feel as well, said at this point, why not give Sam Ellinger the keys? Colts are saying, at least I think they're saying, we seen what we needed to see out of him. We're just trying to gauge the rest of the roster, and we feel Nick Foles give us that best chance. Do you think it's because Nick Foles has big hands? Could be. Could be. Do you think he has the biggest hands of any Colts quarterback? <laughs> I think that maybe that was Jeff Saturday's reasoning, because everybody loses their mind with that stuff. Will Levis, big hands. Kenny Pickett, small hands. You, you actually, did you give up on Kenny Pickett because he had small hands? That was actually the only reason, yeah. Once I found out about the measurements there, I was like, yeah, hey, well, this What'd you call him, Eddie? Kenny Two Gloves? <laughs> I think the Two Gloves is kind of a... It's kind of a good look, you know? I don't have In a, Pittsburgh, I, I think you got to. I, I have I have uh, opinions on many things. The one glove, two glove look, Ed, it's... I always thought it was helps co- you. I, I always thought it was cool when baseball players wore one batting glove. Sure, yeah. That was a cool look. I disagree. I always thought it was uh, either no gloves. I thought that was the cool look. Well, I mean, yeah, when you see a guy nowadays going no gloves, like Matt Carpenter just got $12 million, no gloves. Will Myers. Still Will Myers. It. Moises Alou. 
Moises Alou had the yeah. pregame ritual, though. Yeah. A little bathroom action. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we're gonna yeah. we're gonna step away. When we come back, of course, we're gonna have more on the decision to have Nick Foles as the starter for presumably the remainder of the season, with Matt Ryan being benched for the final three games for your Indianapolis Colts. Gonna change lanes for a moment, get you big picture NBA action as well as more on not just the Pacers from a national perspective, but just NBA and Christmas go hand-in-hand. Hand. Ryan Rucco will be on the call for one of those NBA Christmas Day games of ESPN and the Yes Network joins us next. Bottom of next hour, Stephen Holder talking more on the Colts. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King here on the Fan Midday Show, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Gotta love this song. Absolutely love it. There's just a different level when it comes to Frank, man. Oh, man. Just a different level. Couldn't agree more. Brennan King to my right, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. I'm Jimmy Cook. Thanks again for joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. We already mentioned news of the day. Nick Foles, the new starting back for Indianapolis Colts. We're going to get to that as the show continues to unfold. But first, Christmas is many things for a lot of us. A lot of it involves spending time with family and gathering around for whether it's presents, whether it's however you celebrate the holidays. Sports at some point are going to enter your daily life, I would think. Christmas Day games join us each and every year. And our next guest, one of the great broadcasters in the game, and will also be on the call for ESPN to start the coverage when the 76ers battle the New York Knicks. He is Ryan Rucco of ESPN and Yes Network. Ryan, happy holidays to you. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Always appreciate you coming on and making your time. Looking forward to a fun Christmas Day slate. And that that's kind of where I want to start is with the NBA with our conversation today. Ryan, we are over a third of the way through uh, the start of this NBA campaign. I, we obviously know you do a lot of work nationally with ESPN, but also uh, involved with the, uh, the Nets to some extent with the Yes Network. Uh, what's been your major takeaways for this first third of the season? Well, I, I think that there's uh, there's not a huge gap uh, between many of the teams. You know, both on the bottom end of the, the or the not bottom end, but I'll say like back middle end of the spectrum, right? In that sort of like you know ten seed to six seed, and then uh, amongst the other teams as well. Like, I don't think that there's any sort of definitive for sure this team is going to the finals or like, you're definitely going to have to knock off this team. If you want to have a shot, you know, I don't think that's really the landscape right now. Um, And to me, that's exciting. You know, it's exciting that there is that sort of uh, variability uh, within the season, because I don't think it's because teams aren't good. I think it's because there's a lot of teams that are good. Um, And so if there was, you know, one big takeaway that I had, it would be, that like, yeah, you know, in the East, you're going to say Boston and Milwaukee are your favorites, but would you say that they are impenetrable? No. You know, in the West, you know, obviously the team that everyone would have looked at was Golden State, but with the, you know, shaky start they've gotten off to, uh, I don't think anybody feels definitively like they're going back to the finals, although they very well may feel like the favorites by the time we get to the playoffs. But and then, you know, the other teams who have been sort of more – clear cut at the top of the conference thus far with Denver and New Orleans and Memphis and Phoenix, they have their own questions as well. And I don't think anybody would be surprised to see any of those teams go to the finals or lose in the second round. So I think it's just the overall 
there's a parody that I think is very exhilarating. Hey, Ryan, it's Brendan. Does that does that parody kind of speak to the balanced star power that we continue to see in the league now? You got a Luka on one team. You got a Moran on one team. Zion on one team. Tatum and Brown in Boston. So does that parody come from the stars being balanced all, th- all throughout the league? Yeah, I think it does. You know, I, th- I think that, you know, some of it is certainly um, a, a system uh, designed to create some parity working, right? Um, and, uh, and I think it's also just the, the elevation of the, you know, caliber of, of player that's in the league now gives you a lot more options uh, to choose from. There's a lot more talent. Uh, we see consistently how often NBA teams are now, you know, plucking from the international field, of course, and the way that's expanded uh, the talent in the league. And, and, yeah, I think, you know, you go up and down the NBA, even teams that, you know, are maybe don't have championship expectations this year or maybe are struggling, you can look at the roster and you can see a future. I think also, you know, the more money and the more attention that's put on anything, the more likely it is that, you know, inefficiencies are going to be found and corrected and accounted for and, you know, so I think that every team just keeps getting smarter. Um, but just like a couple teams off the top of my head who, it's, who I think have bright futures and, you know, may not factor in huge to the playoffs this year, like look at an Orlando, you know, look at a Detroit. Like you, in Detroit, they should be very excited about, you know, the combination of young talent they have moving forward, um, whether it's, you know, Jaden Ivey or it's Cade Cunningham or – if it's their bigs, you know, I saw uh, them play the other night and I was like, geez, you know, they, they're going to be good for a long time, you know, when they finally develop. Indiana, a team that very well may go to the playoffs this year, but beyond that, they have a core that you can be excited about moving forward. Sacramento, same thing. They very well, you know, may go to the playoffs this year, but either way, they have players you're excited about. Um, so uh, Orlando, Detroit, Sacramento, Indiana, you know, these are teams that aren't going to factor into a championship race this year, but all teams that I think will be knocking on the doors for middle playoff seeds soon, you know, in the next, you know, whatever, two, three years. And then who knows beyond that? So, yeah, I, I think it's just a, there, there's just a lot of talent spread out throughout the league. Ryan Rucco joining us on the hotline brought to you by the Motor Shop in Fishers and the motorshop.com. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Rucco, a part of ESPN, the Yes Network, and the R2C2 podcast with CC Sabathia. Ryan, sticking with the Pacers for a second, you talk about the young pieces that they have there in general. When you look at names like Tyrese Halliburton, like Benedict Matherin uh, in his rookie campaign, Andrew Nemhart in that same breath, some thought this might be a year where the Pacers were still in the back of the lottery. It still could roll out that way, depending on how the season goes. But from your national seat, what's the perspective been from a Pacers team that you've definitely got to see a handful of glimpses of, particularly since they've already played the Nets so often this year and just had a, a thriller yeah. with the Knicks a couple of nights ago? Yeah, I've gotten to broadcast multiple Pacers games uh, uh, already this year between the Nets and then actually having them on national TV against Washington. Um, you know, I really... I really like what they have going on. First of all, I love the coaching staff. Um, you know, I love Rick Carlisle and respect the heck out of him and what he's built. Um, but I also love Lloyd Pierce and, and the presence that he has. And Jenny Busek, who's a brilliant, brilliant offensive mind. Um, and uh, and I, I love the way 
kind of the Pacers organization feels right now. Um, and I think that talent-wise, look, Tyrese Halliburton looks like a kind of guy who can be a perennial all-star. You know, he has an innate sense for playmaking and making his teammates better. He also is obviously an incredibly efficient shooter, um, and he is full-on blossoming. He's taken this opportunity and run with it. Matherin, one of the things that Lloyd Pierce said to us, which I think was a really good point, said he already gets to the line like a veteran. And I thought that was so interesting because if you watch it, like he really is savvy like that and strong like that. And that's the kind of skill you need to go from being a 15-point scorer to a 20-point scorer. Um, and, uh, and he's also a guy who Rick Carlisle told us continually – asked to be coached hard. I know you guys have heard that in Indy as well. Um, and uh, Nimhart is just the kind of guy who makes championship plays, you know, who's a really good defender um, and who's a winning player. Um, and that's just kind of the start of what they have going on. You know, we'll see what they do with Miles Turner, who obviously has fit well with what they're doing. And I don't know if that changes the scope of his future, but either way, that'll be a good thing because either he's a part of the future or you flip him into, you know, potentially other assets that are a part of the future. So, I think that, you know, as a fan base, you have to be excited because you can see something that's going to be, you know, worth growing with. Ryan, is there a certain aspect or trait of Rick Carlisle's former teams that have had success that you see in the Pacers that he brings to the table? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if, if, if I guess just like competency. You know, I, I never felt like any of Rick Carlisle's teams – wherever without a plan. I feel like they always were just like confident and he's always been able to get the most out of role players and, and help, you know, help role players blossom. Like if you really look at the Mavericks and, and what they were able to build and, and, you know, continue since he's left, like, you know, took a lot of guys who were second round picks or late first round picks or whatever it might be and found ways to develop them into guys who were capable of, you know, contributing to winning uh, around Luca. Um, but I don't think that necessarily happens if Rick doesn't lay the foundation that he laid with a Dorian Finney-Smith or a Dwight Powell or, you know, uh, a Jalen Brunson before departing or, you know, a Maxi Kleba or any of those kind of guys. And, you know, I think you could see that like a, an Andrew Nemhart is probably the perfect kind of player where you're going to see that, you know, you're going to see that level of, of, I think, development and being like, oh, yeah, He's surrounded by the right guys. Like that guy's a dude who is contributing to winning. Um, and I, and I'm sure you'll see more guys like that pop up uh, throughout uh, Rick's time uh, with Indiana. Ryan, I want to shift towards the Christmas Day slate. First, I want to start with your matchup. You got the 76ers and the Knicks at noon on ESPN and ABC. Uh, you, J.J. Redd, and Cassidy Hubbard on the call for that. What are your observations about the Sixers and the Knicks, both within playoff seating right now to this point, and what can fans expect uh, to start Christmas Day off with that Knicks and Sixers matchup? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, look, there's a chance that they're both going to be riding ridiculously long winning streaks when that game <laughs> takes place, you know? If the Knicks win tonight, second half of back-to-back against Toronto, and then on Friday against Chicago, the Knicks will have a 10-game winning streak uh, entering that Christmas Day matchup. Now, maybe they're going to lose one of these next two. Chicago will want revenge. Toronto's catching the Knicks second half of back-to-back, plus they're just – Toronto's desperate for a win, but I, uh, and we'll see what happens with Philly. They have a matchup against the Clippers, which will be tough. 
But, you know, you could be having, I think Philly has two more games, maybe one or two, but a team on a 10-game and a team on a seven- or eight-game winning streak going into uh, that Christmas Day matchup. The, the great thing about what I always think about with Christmas at the Garden is the star of the game is the Garden. And it doesn't really even matter who's on the floor. There is an energy that you can feel, whether you're like me sitting courtside calling it or you're at home watching it on ABC and ESPN which every one of our five games will be simulcast on both ABC and ESPN, FYI. So um, I, I think that, you know, there's always a buzz, but it will be elevated because you happen to have two red-hot teams going at it. Uh, you also are starting off the slate that day, um, which I think, you know, a lot of times people are, you know, done opening gifts, starting to have some breakfast, whatever it might be. And, you know, that noon game is uh, kind of – an accompaniment to uh, the Christmas morning. So um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see the way that both these teams have been defending. You know, Philly's been one of the best defensive teams in the league. Obviously, Embiid is playing like an MVP once again. And uh, and the Knicks have been, after getting off to such a slow start defensively, they've been incredible defensively over the last, uh, you know, few weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. What is the quick follow-up to that? What is the lead-up to that like? I mean, obviously, there, there's no sudden increase in foot traffic that's going to uh, catch New Yorkers by surprise, but what is that day like of the lead-up as you're already there, ready to go, and the fans start to file in out of the garden after you know celebrating the holidays, and for those that celebrate Christmas, great, but just that whole day and atmosphere leading in to tip? Yeah, it, it, it's just there's a buzz is how I could describe it. You know, one of the amazing things I think about being at live sporting events is there's this, you know, sensation to it. There's a, there's a feeling of community and energy that really can't be duplicated except when you're in those settings. And it's one of the things that keeps us coming back, even as our at-home technology continues to improve, because we know there is a human experience that comes along with being in a crowd like that, you know, pulling for something that can only be experienced in that crowd. And I think that on Christmas day, it, there's another level of energy that's felt, you know, it's hard to describe exactly what it is, but there is just, you know, the same way that, you know, someone walks into your home on, you know, Hanukkah or Christmas or, you know, any holiday, right. and it just feels different. Um, it is, is this feels different than walking in on a Wednesday when you still might be very excited to have them. Right. Right. But it just feels different. That's how it feels. Like, I'm excited every single day I walk into an NBA arena. I am obsessed with play-by-play, and I love my job, and I love the NBA. But as much as I love it, it feels even more awesome on Christmas Day. It is, it is a palpable sensation. There's a festivity and a joy you can feel from everybody that's there, and it's just really cool to be a part of. Ryan, I did want to ask you about a guy on the Knicks as you get ready to prep for that game. I'm a Butler alum, watched a lot of Big East basketball over the years, a lot of clashes between Butler and Villanova. And Jalen Brunson, I was at the Pacers game the other day when they played the Knicks. What I love most about Jalen Brunson is that he's clearly taken a step already from Dallas to New York. He's playing so officially, but he... he takes his game from Villanova where he's literally a point guard going to the block and posting up and putting these spin moves on other guards that have seen nothing like it. He's like a point forward, but the steps he has taken, I mean, he's turning into just a hell of a player, Ryan. Oh, he's fantastic. And, you know, I remember talking to Jason Kidd about him last year and him just glowing about what a winner he is. And, and, you know, I think 
I was talking with Alan Hahn earlier this morning, and Alan is uh, one of the primary uh, voices covering the Knicks on MSG and then ESPN radio uh, host, and, and he's, he does a wonderful job. And he was saying, he's like, you know what thing that like, just stands out to me watching him every day? How smart he is. Like, what a smart player he is and how that ends up affecting everybody else. And I think one of the things you're seeing is, like, Jalen Brunson taking the reins the way that he is is helping – Slot Julius Randle into a more effective place in the offense where he's not dribbling quite as much and making those mistakes that had the garden crowd groaning a year ago, right? It, it has R.J. Barrett, you know, functioning sort of more as a third option, which I think is probably appropriate for R.J. Barrett, even though he's a guy who can very easily get you 20 a game. So all of that being said, um, you know, I think that he's also a Tom Thibodeau type player, which is hard-nosed, grind it out, cares about winning, going to show up every day and ball. Um, and so, yeah, he might be diminutive. He might be undersized. Um, but he's not just a scoring small guard. He obviously can score, but he does a lot of other winning things. Um, and I think Dallas really misses him, and I think the Knicks are very fortunate to have him. Ryan Rucco, nice enough to join us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers for all your Residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com. Ryan Rucco of ESPN, Yes no Network, and the R2C2 podcast with CC Sabathia. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Rucco. Ryan, zooming out, uh, big picture with the NBA slate. I know that you're obviously going to be rightfully so obsessed with your matchup with 76ers Knicks, but when you look at the rest of the five games on the slate, is there one that will kind of draw your attention that you'll be definitely locked into. You'll be locked into all of them, but that really intrigues you through that five game slate. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that I, I think seeing the, the, the bucks uh, play their game and, and, you know, looking at the two teams who are like, no doubt the, the class of the East with the bucks and the Celtics, I think seeing those two teams go at it, even though Boston's been struggling a little bit here lately, um, their offense, is, uh, which was off to a historically great start, has been now in the tank for a while, and it was so good that they're still first in offense. Um, but I, I think seeing them is something that I'm really curious about, um, seeing those two teams go at it, because I think, like, yeah, there's other teams in the East who could end up factoring into who comes out of the conference, Cleveland, Brooklyn, um, uh, the Heat, the Sixers, um, you know, we'll see uh, if there's anybody else who can kind of climb the ladder. The Cavs, of course, are the three seed right now and, and are, you know, the team who may have the best shot at knocking off one of those two. But respect has to go to those two. They're the class of the East. They're the ones who've proven it in the playoffs, and they're the ones with the most continuity. Um, and I think we're learning – Right now, I think over the last couple of years, we've gained a greater appreciation for continuity than maybe at any point since the you know big three super team uh, post LeBron to Miami era. Like I think we're all really appreciating how much continuity matters. So I'm excited to see those two teams go at it and see if there's any noticeable gaps or deficiencies or ways 
that one team can exploit the other. Ryan, before we let you go, got to hit the diamond, talk a little baseball. I'm a guy that makes most of my living calling ball in the Cubs organization, and I know a lot of people back home are are uh, thrilled about Jamison Tyone signing the deal with the Cubs, $68 million over a few years. And I know Tyone has really made a career out of being known as an innings eater, a guy that's reliable of an ERA under four. But in your mind, Ryan, why should Cubs fans be most excited about Jamison Tyone? He's a great dude in the clubhouse. Great dude in the clubhouse. The, he is, you know, he's the kind of guy who lifts the spirits of everybody in it, who's funny, who his teammates just love. I can't tell you how many different Yankees over the last couple of years raved to me about Jamison Tyone and what he meant in that room. Um, and look, he, he's going he's gonna to go out there and he's going to pour his heart and soul and he has a wonderful story and He's, you know, he's got six different pitches that he uses equally, and, and he, uh, he'll go through periods of time where he struggles a little. Then he'll go through periods of time where he looks like a legitimate ace, and you know, he'll end up probably factoring into being a pitcher that can win you know, somewhere around 15 games with an ERA in the high threes. You know? And he's a really good starting pitcher. But I think where you'll feel him more is what he's going to do in that room, especially for a Cubs team that's trying to build back up after some glorious years followed by some down years. Ryan, last question. I, I'm contractually obligated to ask it. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't wearing the pinstripes today. Uh, your thoughts on Aaron Judge being named the 16th captain in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, it's appropriate. He, um, I'll never forget CC Sabathia, my podcast co-host and friend, telling me when Judge was a rookie in 2017, being like, he's already our leader. And I was like, really? Wow. You know, like and for CC to say that is telling right. because CC's not just saying that, like, that's not the kind of guy CC is. Um, and so I was like, wow, I mean, that's impressive. And I think it's only continued, you know, to grow. And, you know, something that Aaron Boone made a point of, of highlighting today that I've known to be true for a while is as kind and accessible as judge is, he is a voracious competitor and a very confident one. And in that way, he reminds me a lot of the last captain, Derek Jeter. Now, we know Derek was as polite and humble as you could be, but he also was extraordinarily confident and a ridiculous competitor. And he believed he had a better chance on any given day to get that big hit than anybody in the majors. And that's the way judges as well. you know. And um, I think that we've seen that. Uh, and there's definitely an appreciation for that. Um, and it will only, uh, you know, I, I think it will only help to be highlighted now that he has that C officially. He's been their captain for a while without the title. He's so earned this. And look, he's a generational Yankee. They don't come around all the time. But especially if you're someone who either has kids or has nephews, nieces, or just knows young kids growing up in this area at this time, Aaron judges their guy, you know, he is their moon and their sun and, and he is everything to young Yankee fans, the same way that Derek Jeter was, you know? Um, and I'd say judge probably has an even larger slice of the pie when it comes to favorite players, you know, with the young fans, because judge isn't necessarily surrounded by Jeter and I mean, by Pettit and Bernie and, you know, Posada and Mo and uh, Paul Neal and some other guys who were, you know, sort of like embedded Yankees who were there a while. So this guy means everything to the fan base. And uh, he is a, he's an iconic face of the franchise player who, yeah, at some point, you know, he'll 
need that championship to be at the tippy top in the annals of the franchise's history. But no matter what, he's a guy. You know, he's a guy who's part of a very small list, and he's very deserving of this honor because he is, without a doubt, the leader of this team. 99 days to opening day, 99 staying in New York. Ryan, looking forward to when the Yankees season starts. Can't wait for the NBA Christmas Day action. Of course, always checking out the R2C2 podcast with CC. Appreciate your work as always, my friend. Happy holidays, you and your family, and uh, have a good call. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All the best. Thanks, Ryan. That's Ryan Rucco again of ESPN and Yes Networking. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan Rucco via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. He joined us today. Of course, go to the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com. News of the day. I know we're kind of up against it a little bit, BK, but Nick Foles named the starter now. Our next guest, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, hoping to provide a little bit more clarity. I'm also curious his thoughts of where the franchise is headed because he's been in those conversations and, and trying to figure out what the future holds for Chris Bauer as general manager of this team. It's going to be interesting. And if you were not with us earlier and just joining us now in the 2 o'clock hour, the snaps that you will see on Monday minus practice will be the first snaps that Nick Foles has taken with the first team offense since training camp. Dun, dun, dun. Come in cold. No, no worries. No worries. No worries. The former Super Bowl MVP. Go get him, Nick. He's fine. It's not, not, not a problem. Again, our larger debate Earlier, and of course, much like those conversations, podcasts will be up 107.5thefan.com or the Fan Midday Show. Wherever you get your podcast, we discussed the your pros and cons of the situation of not taking a chance on Sam Ellinger in terms of seeing what he has for the final three games of the regular season. I think at least in large part, I don't know if Brent and I were fully in agreement on this, but my thought on it is they found their answer with that in that they know what Sam Ellinger is. They've seen enough in that regard, and they are ready to head towards the draft, hopefully to acquire a quarterback in the offseason. We'll talk about the benching of Matt Ryan and Nick Foles' ascension into the starting role for these final three games. When we come back as Stephen Holder joins us next here on The Fan. Breaking news of the day. It's not breaking at this point, but it was the time. It is the news story of the day, however. Nick Foles taking the reins from Matt Ryan. New starter for the Colts for these final three weeks of the season, despite Matt Ryan being the proclaimed by Jeff Saturday best QB to give us a chance to win. Nick Foles now less than a week later after those comments, the starter for your Indianapolis Colts. We try to get through these final three games of the season. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you from the drivehubor.com studios. We shift to the talented Stephen Holder of ESPN.com, who was on this story as it happened and has obviously received comments at the press availability today from Jeff Saturday and company. Uh, Steven, I doubt you could still get a pulse on this team and the direction they want to go to, and you're probably on the same boat of get to the finish line as quickly as possible as we are, but your takeaways with the decision to go to Foles, uh, A, instead of Ellinger, and B, just the decision to bench Matt Ryan for these final three games. Well, you know, when you lose two consecutive games in absolute historic fashion, it might be time uh, to think about <laughs> some alternatives, right? Sure. So that's where they are. <laughs> and that, that's the reality. I mean, you talk about, you know, getting a pulse for where they are. You're exactly right. Their, their pulse is, when am I going on vacation? Because 
I need to get as far away from this as possible. And I, I agree with that because let me tell you, I've been there for all of it. So anyway, I, I would say this about the quarterback change. I, I actually think had, had Frank Reich remained the head coach, we would have seen Nick Foles a long time ago. And, and by that, what at least I mean when Matt Ryan hurt his shoulder, you know, Nick Foles would have been, I think, the, in that scenario, had uh, had it not been mandated by Demerse that they go to Sam Ellinger, it would have been Nick Foles. And so, you know, Nick Foles had that standing you know, with the team uh, before this or before things changed of late. And uh, I think, frankly, you know, this this could have happened a long time ago, but we'll see. I mean, he's going to get his opportunity, and we'll see uh, what he can do if he can give them some life. They They, they definitely need some – some life offensively right now steven it's brendan besides arm strength is there anything nick Foles can do differently than matt ryan i i think probably not a lot but what you hit on is important i was just talking about this with some of my colleagues i really think we haven't talked enough about matt ryan's shoulder and i'm not saying this to give him an excuse i'm not I don't care how whether he looks bad or doesn't or, or how people view him. We're just talking just reality. There's, there's definitely been a sea change in his ability to throw down the field and his willingness to throw down the field. If you watch the season opener against Houston, you saw a guy who in the second half of that game, as bad as he was early on, in the second half of that game, he went after that defense. He went after them, and he forced that ball down the field to Michael Pittman and others, and they made plays. They they actually pulled off a 17-point comeback in that game. That guy's gone. Okay, we haven't seen that guy in many, many weeks, and I really think the dividing line, honestly, was was when he hurt his shoulder. And and I just don't think he's been able to, to get back that, that faith in his arm and, and that confidence in his arm to throw it down the field. The Colts coaches have been really frustrated by the fact that they have had what they think are some potential touchdown opportunities where Matt Ryan just hasn't pulled the trigger. So to your point, that's where I think they're hoping we'll see. They're hoping that Nick Foles can step in and perhaps make those throws that Matt Ryan was not, but we'll see. But, but I do think they at least have a puncher's chance at it now because Matt Ryan was clearly not doing it. Steven, we were kind of having a roundtable discussion with our producer, Eddie Garrison, as well, and he brought up the point that perhaps the reason you go with Foles over Ellinger is because even though different outlets can put every graphic they want, the playoffs are still on the table. The playoffs ship sailed weeks ago in my mind, but it definitely did last week. When you're looking at where this franchise goes these final three weeks, the only thing left to do is continue to get measurables for the rest of your roster is another reason for Foles, and this was Eddie's larger point, that it gives you a better baseline than Ellinger to evaluate the other position pieces on offense? I think that's actually fair. That's actually a a very fair point because take a look at, for example, uh, Michael Pittman, and what do they have in Michael Pittman? I mean, I think they have a very good player, but, but does he have that elite potential? You know, and I think that's been harder to, to really determine. And, you know, too many of their throws are short of the, uh, of the first down markers. And so you have this, this condensed offense 
and as Jeff said today, just Saturday, you know, he, he remarked that, you know, the, the safeties are playing, you know, seven yards off the line of scrimmage. You know I mean? Like, what are you really able to, to demonstrate? You're not able to take chances and to really push your offense and, and take, you know, just take some liberties, right? And so I agree with that. I think they can, they can maybe try to make some things happen, see what their capabilities are, because right now, I mean, just don't really have anything to go on. Uh, I think Paris, Paris Campbell, for example, right? I mean, Paris Campbell's going to be a contract year, despite or besides uh, the health concerns there. He's, he's done a good job. Stephen, this is very hypothetical and very tinfoil. Oh, sorry, go ahead. We lost no, you for a minute. We lost you for a minute. Sorry, just saying about Paris Campbell, I think he's another example, right? I mean, have we seen his ceiling? You know, so that's another example of, I think, what you're talking about. Can they maybe get a better read on some of these guys? And it is and should be about the future for these final three games. Steven, I, I would say this is very hypothetical and tinfoil hat of me, but Nick Foles getting the start potentially in these last three games. I know they said they'll evaluate it week to week, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows anymore? Uh, yeah, right. You know, could this be about trying to figure out if Foles has any gas left in him and they're trying to find out if he could be the bridge between drafting a young quarterback, maybe top five, and needing a guy to start those first few weeks of next season before maybe a young guy is ready? I think probably not. Um, now, now, if he plays great, maybe that becomes a conversation, right? We'll see. Um, it, it just depends on, on what he has left because, look, there are also questions about that. I mean, he has to, he has to address those questions with his own play, you know, talking about Nick Foles. Not, it's not just Matt Ryan who I think there are questions about. You know, Nick Foles hasn't played a lot in a very long time. You know, so, so we, we're going to learn a lot about who he is right now. So I don't, I don't know if that's their thinking but again, if he, you know, Nick, Nick Foles has surprised a lot of people over the years. And, and if he does it again here, maybe he gives the Colts something to think about in terms of being a mentor, um, a bridge, whatever the case may be. He definitely has unbelievable leadership capacity, right? And, and he's been in just about every situation you can imagine. So not out of the question, but, but I also would leave you with this. Um, I also don't know what Nick Foles' intentions are for the future because I don't know how intent he was on playing this year until Frank Reich called him, right? And, and that's what got him off the couch. So, so we'll see what his future is uh, just from his own perspective as well. Stephen Holder taking some time with us today via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, themotorshop.com. You can follow Stephen on Twitter at HolderSteven, NFL reporter and Colts reporter for ESPN. Steven, looking big picture for a second, you kind of were sharing your thoughts on the state of the Colts, and particularly with General Manager Chris Boward last night on Twitter and where things go, both from a coaching perspective and from the general manager side of things. Uh, I want to clarify it with this, Steven. If it was me, if I was in the role of Jim Irsay, I would have parted ways with Boward when I parted ways with Reich, and I would have just cut ties there and established what the direction of the franchise is going to look at that point. Now we're here to December 21st. I'm in the camp, even though I think they should part ways with Ballard still. I don't want to see him lose his job, but it's a business. 
But I'm also the mindset, I don't think that's what Jim Irsay is going to do based on how he's talked about Ballard and how he has just demonstrated this whole process the last three or four weeks. That was before the Minnesota game. But in your mindset, your tweets were from last night. Where do you envision the future of the franchise at general manager right now? Does your gut tell you that Ballard's here another season? Yes. Um, my conversations with Jim Irsay, or as a result of my conversations, I, I am leaning the same way. I think his public statements now, which uh, I think are multiple such statements, I, I believe them in terms of his intent at the moment. I would also offer this caveat. Jamerce has changed his mind a lot lately, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, I think here's where, here's where I think it gets interesting. The coaching search hasn't happened yet. I do not anticipate Jeff Saturday is going to be back. I would be a little surprised by that. In fact, I'd be probably a lot surprised. So let's assume they go somewhere else. Now, what kind of coach do they go after? And who is leading that coaching search? Who's ultimately making that coaching decision? And the reason I bring that up is because what or who they settle on as the head coach, I, I think that determines the role of the general manager. If you go get Jim Harbaugh, I have no idea if that's going to happen, right? I'm not predicting that whatsoever. But if you go get Jim Harbaugh, that changes Chris Ballard's role probably a lot. Because Jim Harbaugh, he wants juice. He's going to want juice. And you're going to have to give it to him if you want him, if you want to hire him. So that's just an example of what I'm talking about. At that point, Chris Ballard's role, or whoever the general manager is, their role changes pretty significantly, I think. You know, So I think those are the things that we cannot yet anticipate, and we need to find out you know, how this takes shape before we really can, can give an educated guess on, on what becomes a Chris Ballard from that perspective. Steven, so you don't sense that because of everything that has happened this year between the original Ryan benching, as you said, Jim Hersey has changed his mind a lot after Frank Reich seemingly had his support and then did not after he was fired. Did you ever feel any disconnect between owner and GM over the last couple months? Oh, I think there's there was a disconnect over Jeff Saturday, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> yes, yes, there was absolutely, unequivocally, a disconnect there. Um, the boss won that argument. If maybe argument's the wrong word, right? But um, but whatever disconnect there was, the owner's vote definitely counts more, right? So so he got his man. Now we'll see whether he relents at all, you know, going forward. But I would also add that, you know, over the last, I would say, year, frankly, you know, if you go back to the Carson Wentz decision, uh, to uh, the quarterback decisions, and I mean that multiple, you know, making Ellinger the number two earlier in the season and then promoting him to number one, I mean, those are decisions that were driven by Jim Irsay. And certainly the Jeff Saturday decision was driven by Jim Irsay, if not completely by Jim Irsay. So I, I think that is a very interesting change in the way things have worked uh, with this franchise for a long time. So I'm very interested to see whether that continues and and how that gets navigated, uh, you know, between those two parties, Jim Mercer and Chris Ballard. Last question on that front, Stephen. Just last question before I let you go. Again, appreciate you making time for us. I guess my my larger question with that about Ballard and with the future at GM along with the fact that like you said they're going to have to have a coaching search so we aren't 
too far down the road of, okay, we're at this point in the season or we're at this point removed from when we need to start focusing on the draft and focusing on a new head coach, Ballard's probably safe. We've not crossed a a point of no return in that aspect where we can safely assume who's going to be the GM, correct? Oh, I say no, absolutely not, no. I mean, if I recall, I could be wrong about this, but if I recall correctly, uh, Jim Mersey fired his last general manager actually well into January, uh, Ryan Grigson. So, you know, there was a change made there long after the, the regular season was over for the Colts. You know, I think it was several weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I think that, that indicates to you, you know, just kind of how, how these things work. I, I mean, we've seen general managers, we've seen changes at general manager in other, in other franchises in the middle of the offseason. Right. I mean, that's happened before too, right? So, I mean, it's definitely different. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a very decisive period after the draft, for example. Like, if these things can happen at any time when it comes to general manager. Uh, coaches' tenures are a little more structured because of the, the way the season works, and so are generally the, the front office types. But, but there is precedent for it happening at different intervals as well. I guess very last thing I had for you, Stephen, for the Sam Ellinger hype or story, your fans clamoring for him, in your mind, is this a clear statement by the franchise that they feel they've seen what they need to see out of him in terms of an evaluation? Because the argument from the fans, and I understand they're the fans, they're not making the decisions, but the argument's going to be, well, why don't we give Ellinger a larger body of work to prove what he has? Is this a clear statement to you with naming Foles the starter that, they've made their evaluations and they're ready to proceed? I think it strongly suggests that. And everything that I, that I know about, about their view of Sam Ellinger, and, and I'm not talking about Jim Mercedes, I'm talking about the people who, who actually make football decisions. Uh, the viewpoint of those people has, in my, the way I understand it is that he is definitely has the, the, I guess the, potential to be a high-end backup now as a starter his physical limitations and they are he does have limitations right his as although he has strengthened his arm and has definitely uh, become more accurate um he has some physical limitations right and how he can throw the ball so the field shrinks uh he's not the tallest guy so there's that you know so there are these things that you can overcome them certainly you can overcome them. And we have seen it happen more and more in the NFL today. But you have to have some elite physical skills to overcome them. And that's the thing. He doesn't have that. And I think that's where uh, he, he kind of gets held back and, and I think probably put into a little bit of a box as a, as a backup. Steven, I know it's never a dull moment on the beat. Always appreciate you making time for us, particularly in this situation. And looking forward to following your coverage the rest of the way. All right, guys. No problem. Talk to you soon. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. That's Stephen Holder. You can follow him on Twitter at Holder Stephen, NFL reporter for ESPN, Colts reporter for them as well. We're going to take a break. We come back. We'll have bets and final thoughts on Nick Foles being named the starter for Indianapolis Colts. We come back here on the Fan Midday Show. There are icicles in the studio. We are frigid cold in bets. But you know what the best part is? We're not going to die. Jimmy, what you got? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. I ain't leaving. I ain't leaving, BK. 
I'm not leaving. New Orleans Bowl going to take Western Kentucky toward the money line against South Alabama. Also going to take, I'm going to scoop the 10 here. I think they can cover it. I didn't consult with producer of Pacers uh, Radio Network or our producer here on the Fan Midday Show, Eddie Garrison, but I'm going to scoop the 10 for the Pacers in that matchup as well. That's going to close out my bets for the day. One and two yesterday, one and four on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jay Cook. Eddie. What do you have for us tonight? Uh, You're going to be a chicken? Two. I've got two. Oh, welcome I got, back. I, I got welcome two back, overs. Jimmy. <laughs> I'm going to take Anthony Simons of the Portland Trailblazers. I'll take him over three and a half threes. And then in the Pacers game tonight, I'll take Jalen Brown over 25 and a half points. Do you feel as good about that as you did Donovan Mitchell? I do. Do you think Jalen Brown might have a 40-point game? <laughs> uh, I don't think he'll get there because of Tatum. But Okay. Uh, we are going to keep it very basic today, boys. We're going to go with a good old shots on goal bet in the National Hockey League. Yes. We got the Oilers and the Stars tonight on TNT. By the way, the system plays when Connor McDavid is plus money to score a goal. He is minus money to score a goal tonight, so we will avoid that. Big hard-nosed forward, former Florida Panther, now on the Stars, Mason Marchment. He gets to the net. We're going to get some cheapies tonight. We're going to get some cheap shots from Mason Marshman because he's going to stand in front of the net. He's going to not let the goalie see what he's doing, and he's going to get a couple cheapy shots because if you deflect the puck and it gets to the goalie, that counts as a shot. We're over three shots, yes. plus 136 on Mason Marchman, and we're hitting. We're back. Testify. Yes, BK. Yes. I'm ice cold. Ready Amen. for it. Amen. I'm right there. I'm right there with you, but I'm going to follow you along. Uh, by the way, here's the tease of teases. Yeah, you're gonna like my outfit tomorrow. Okay. All right. I, I I'm gonna have to. Do you know what you're gonna wear tomorrow yet? It's our Christmas show. <laughs> I've thought about it a little bit. I've Eddie, thought about it a little bit. Do you think you're gonna come in a nice little elf costume? No, we're not gonna. I don't think we're gonna see Eddie as an elf. You're you're an angry elf. <laughs> but see, I'm not on camera like you two beautiful gentlemen. You can be. I can't face over yeah, here and no, get you, you two. Can, you can walk over. You say can hello. produce the show from here. You know, you can answer the phone over there. Want to give a special thanks to all of our guests today: Matt Schumacher, Stephen Holder, Ryan Rucco, Jeremiah Johnson. The whole Pacers Colts coverage in general was great across the board today. Tomorrow, Brandon Gordon going to join us, get us ready for bowl season, as well as Matt Taylor and Kevin Bowen, to name a few. Looking forward to bringing you all of the action again. The breaking news: Nick Foles, new quarterback for the Colts. John Scott reaction next.